Today I get a chance to sit down with Elijah May. We cover Elijah's background in Hollywood, how he got into building experiences for companies, Google's actual business model, cost-effective marketing campaigns, as well as some of the shenanigans that lead to shareable content. Elijah and I also got into some of the issues around outrage campaigns and how marketing can be used to fuel the dark side of capitalism. With that, let's jump into my chat with Elijah May. Hello and welcome to the Arsenic Show. Today I have with me Elijah May. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for coming down. Um, we did this in kind of semi-short notice about a week-ish ago, something like that. Yeah. Got it all set up, and uh, I'm really glad to see you. Likewise. Uh, you are actually one of my favorite people. It's We haven't known each other that long, but um, every time we hang out, I have these very interesting conversations, and they're n- none of them are like one another. Okay. All kind of all. I mean, would you agree? They're kind I of. I do agree. They're yes. always. I was waiting to see where you're going with that. It was always something weird, and I I can't quite put my finger on why it's interesting, but it's always interesting. Sometimes it's about technology. Sometimes it's about marketing. Sometimes it's about future stuff. It's just kind of all over the map. So, um, I I feel like you might agree that this would be worthwhile and worth worth the attempt. And uh, we'll see where we land. Oh, yeah. No, look, I'm fascinated by the show's premise. I've obviously watched some of the episodes. We'll talk more about that. Yeah, okay. Um, Uh-oh. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that um, I love the I love the concept and, and I enjoy talking to you immensely. So I'm like, we can do this for, for a few hours. Let's oh, I, th- I think so. Get into it. I think so, too. So you had a lot of experience in Hollywood, um, and uh, which, by the way, isn't how we know each other, despite... Mm despite uh, a lot of my Hollywood connections. Right. Um, but also things like negotiating and doing celebrity events. You want to kind of give a little bit of a background just so the audience can kind of get a feel for sort of how you got Boy. here? For someone who coaches pitch competitions, I suck. <laughs> I suck at the pitch. Okay. Um, I went to USC. Uh, I, I grew up in, in as rural a setting as you can possibly imagine. I always tell people, uh, I ask them if they've seen the movie Deliverance. I'm like, like that, but you know, without the horrible parts, everything mm-hmm. else is basically 100 mm-hmm. percent accurate. Mm-hmm. So, um, I went to USC because it was as far away in the continental United States as I could find a school, and that's it. That was my criteria. How far away is it from North Carolina? I got to get out of here. Had to stay on the continent, though. No, you weren't going to risk going to Hawaii. <laughs> I did look at Hawaii, but you know, um, I think it was something to do with like. USC had rolling admissions or something <laughs> like that. I was like, this is the one I applied to one guy. in, good. I'm out. Like I didn't even really overthink it. Um, which is apparently not how you're supposed to do college, but mm-hmm. it worked out well for me because, uh, one week out of school, uh, they called and said, Hey, uh, the woman uh, who runs the filming department would like to talk to you. And I said, uh, okay. Why? We don't know. Okay. And I walked in and I talked to her and she said, um, well, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I was, um, I was looking for a job waiting tables because I was going to try to be an actor. She goes, well, that's, that's cool. But, <laughs> a um, terrible mistake. Yeah. She's like, you know, you can do that. <laughs> I fully support that. She's like, or. <laughs> Hear or, me out. <laughs> yeah. Just think about this for a second. She said, you could come. Uh, work in the PR department at USC. We're under external relations. And in the filming department, what we did there is if any studio, uh, whether it was a commercial or a television show or a movie, wanted to film on campus or, you know, recruit students for this or that, like athletes, um, we had a department that did that. And she said, I need someone to kind of run this department. Uh, okay, like I thought maybe she was looking for like a referral. Mm. Like I'm like, I don't know what you're telling me. <laughs> 
Uh, she's like, would you be interested? In which part? <laughs> she's like, the, the good word? The job. And she's like, <laughs> she starts, I think she said it started at like, like $42,000 a year. Like, <clears throat> <laughs> I was I was working as a lifeguard like you know the week before so uh-huh. and I thought I was crushing it when I was making eight dollars an hour. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, I can probably probably make that work. She's like, look, I fully support you. Want to be an actor? That's fine. Uh, you can go on auditions. You can take off whenever you want. Um, I mean, you'll be meeting producers and directors all day every day, and then but if you want to leave and go on an audition, you know, you can go do that. And uh, I just <laughs> I just stared at her for like a really long time. I had no idea. Like this is. Nothing about this makes sense. And uh, she said, well, go think it over. I said, okay. And I walked back across campus. Um, I lived off campus, but I, this was the furthest opposite side of campus from where I lived. And I stopped into my old campus job, the lifeguarding office. I said, can I borrow your phone real quick? And I, she picked up the phone and said, yes. She goes, oh, great. I'll see you Tuesday. Went, oh, okay. And they said, what was that? I said, I think I, I, think I have a job. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I, I didn't apply for a job or anything, but, like, I think I have a job. So, as it turns so I didn't honestly think that it was real. Like, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And people were like, huge mistake. We thought you were somebody else. <laughs> Apparently, there's two Elijah Mays. We're so sorry about this. Um, but, no, it. Uh, I had that job for eight years, and it was absolutely life-changing, right? So, I got to be the go-between between the university and the studios. I got to meet with directors and producers all day, every day, and work on, you know, countless shows with every celebrity at, of, at the time. And, um, so and I got to, to learn the ins and learn, outs of the business. Yeah, you got to, yeah, you get to learn the business side exactly. of Hollywood as opposed, because I think a lot of people think about the, what's in front of the camera, but there's, yeah, the much bigger part is behind. Yeah. I mean, it's enormous uh, industry. Yeah. I had taken some film classes, you know, and um, at USC is one, it's, you know, our film department is famous, right? So, I had certainly had professors who knew the business, but there's nothing like being on set. There's nothing like dealing with the shenanigans. And, and if we're being honest, a lot of the silliness that goes on in Hollywood, like, oh, everybody's freaking out because Judd Apatow has to have cheeseburgers from McDonald's. Like, this is a real thing. People are really freaking out. Like, there's a chef over there. There's like a five-star chef, like, making filet mignon and lobster. But Judd wants cheeseburgers, and the world stops unless we get him cheeseburgers. Mm-hmm. And the the great thing about my background, having had such a crazy, you know, vagabond country upbringing, is that I was incapable of caring about that kind of stuff, no matter how important the person was. Mm-hmm. So I was always able to kind of keep a fairly level head. I A couple times... Someone pulled me aside and asked me if I could pretend to be upset. <laughs> like, they're like, because you see how we're all freaking out and you're acting like this is not a big deal? And I said, yes. They said, we understand it's not really a big deal, but if you could play along a little, you know? Yeah. I said, okay. So I learned, you know, um, I think what I learned on that job more than anything, speaking of things I don't teach in college, uh, EQ, right? Just, you know, the emotional intelligence of... Uh, like how to deal with so many different types of personalities because academia is the slowest thing in the world, right? This is like the tortoise and the hare. You've got academia and then you've got Hollywood and in Hollywood, we're going to build a house and then we're going to film in that house. And then the house is going to disappear. Like it was never there in two weeks mm-hmm. in academia. They're still talking about whether or not it should be a house six months from now. Right? Like, was it a, what kind of house, a Victorian house, right? Like these two things are so fundamentally different that the challenge of getting them to just like work together for a few days or a couple of weeks 
was yeah, monumental. The, the perfectionist in me watches what happens on sets. And I'm like, oh, that is terrible. <laughs> I mean, really shoddy work. But, you know, on camera, no one notices. No. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the number of times I had to tell people, like, because I understand this is expedient for you, but no, we're not going <laughs> to knock that wall down. This is an actual, someone's over there, they're examining a brick wall. Uh, and he has a sledgehammer next to him. Like, hey, what uh, what are you doing? Oh, we're just gonna we're just gonna punch through this wall. So the director just wants us to get shot. Where the the actor walks in the front door, and then we just gonna pan through the wall and we catch him coming. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. And he's like, no, but the director said he wants a shot. And I'm like, no, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> we're not knocking a hole in the wall. He's like, well, I, that's I was told to knock a hole in the wall. I'm like, all right. So here's what we're gonna do now. Like everybody, stop. Right. Let's. I'll go get the director and the producer. We'll all get together. We'll talk about what we're not gonna knock a hole in the wall. <laughs> Right, which is a crazy amount of sort of, not exactly authority, but like influence to have over a production as a kid from, you know, a cabin in the woods mm -hmm. who knew nothing about anything. And all of a sudden these people have to, if I tell them they can't knock a hole in the wall, they can't knock a hole in the wall. Mm -hmm. Well, that's with great uh, responsibility. <laughs> I mean, you oh, uh, it went right to my head. I like, bet, I mean, I, I, yeah, I bet. Um, but somehow you came out pretty level headed, um, which I actually really appreciate about you. So what Very kind of, you. What, well, I said pretty level headed, <laughs> <laughs> but so what do you think is wrong with the culture? I, I feel like when I talk to a lot of people who come out of Hollywood um, and Chris stopped listening for a minute, um, they, uh, there's some serious sort of mental, a, a, a sort of a disconnect from the rest of society and a way of thinking about things that are so foreign to the way the rest of the country thinks, uh, or the rest of the world for that matter thinks. Um, wh what do you think is causing that? So I think there's an interesting parallel. I moved from Ellie cause we had a kid and we, what you just said, we're like everybody I know who grew up in, in LA, especially people who worked in the business, their version of reality is, skewed let's just say it's skewed right i don't want that for our kids i don't want to try to fix it now this is pre-social media so i didn't know our kids are gonna be fucked up anyway but never mind <laughs> that, right so we thought at the time like we'll go somewhere that's not as intense and 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 like you know so shallow as as this industry is and this this town is and so we moved to austin i worked on friday night lights show wrapped up oh my god what do i do now there was i thought like everyone kept talking about all this production in austin it was one show <laughs> shit okay um but what I found is there's a really interesting parallel here because in LA, everybody's a writer or director, right? Everybody, we're an actor. Um, and in Austin, everybody's an entrepreneur, right? They're all creatives. It's the same energy, mm -hmm. basically, right? Similar. It's everybody being like, I'm going to do my own shit is basically the energy. Um, and, so, and, and, and a great many, you know, people trying to make their own films and whatnot, they are entrepreneurs. This is not what they're labeled in LA. So I do think it's, Yes, LA is unique. LA is, in my experience, especially shallow. Um, I remember I pulled up on a set of a, I won't name the show. Um, I was on a pilot and I, 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 it went to my head a little. So I went and I, I, my first car was a fully loaded Audi A4, just tricked out. It was a beautiful car. It wasn't that expensive, but it looked more expensive than it was. And I mean, by my, it was like, it cost probably three times more than my mother had ever made mm -hmm. in a year when I was growing up. Right? <clears throat> right. I pull up on the set of the show. I park the car. I get out of the car and the director who I've worked with at least three times before goes, Elijah, Hey man, what's going on? Hey, how come we never hang out? And I'm like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> I didn't even know this guy knew my name. What are you talking about? Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. He's like, we've worked together a bunch. Right. I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true. And he's like, yeah, we should hang out sometime. And I'm like, try it. And like, then it dawns on me. Like the only fucking difference is I just pulled up in this car. Like all of a sudden we're friends. I'm like, that's to me, the epitome of Hollywood. And by the way, my boss went, she got a new car within a week. And then her boss got a new car within a week. Um, and I will say as expensive as that car was, it paid for itself so many times over, like mm-hmm. showing up in that car, people are like, Oh, you must be important. So now you're allowed to do all of these things. But you know, the funny thing is a lot of these people who show up in LA are not from LA. You know, this is this first generation right. in LA, a huge chunk of the, the population there. Same with thing with Austin, actually, they're not from LA. They're not from Austin. So why do you think the culture sort of, brings that in um what what do you think about being famous or the the desire to be famous or work with famous people or whatever it sort of drives that so what is it about hollywood what is it about celebrity and and fame that attracts people yeah yeah, but what is it that causes the culture is really what i'm after like so many people aren't from la so is are they bringing the culture with them is this like a microcosm a little bit of this culture exists all over the world and they sort of concentrate it in one location. Like there's all these entrepreneurs all over the place and they concentrate in Austin. Is that, is that what you think is happening? No, I mean, this, this may not be a, as direct an answer as you're looking for. Sure. You look at, you know, the passage of the queen last week and everybody's you know, freaking out. About talking about, it's all about the Royal family. This and the Royal family. that Which is to me is just a fucking bonkers idea. Right. Like the idea of royalty. I just can't. I mean, I understand like, medieval times but now like we're really having this conversation like you give a fuck what these people do with their lives like i don't understand it right you know leon our british friend is like oh my god he sent this information i'm like i and i, I my first response was like it was almost like oh fucking care like like is that insensitive like is this really important to people who like who grew up in this culture like this is a significant cultural thing for them right i don't understand why but i understand that it is so i'm like oh, oh. and i just think i replied Wow, right? Like, I didn't want to be rude. Um, I think LA is exactly the same. I think they're just American royalty, basically. And so what you've got is, um, you know, we all, there's this really fascinating thing that happens when we see people. I've talked to quite a few celebrities who say, and I'm sure you have as well, people walk up to them like, hi. Like, they think that because they know that face, that that face should know them. And this is like a, a strangely common phenomena I mean, it's almost like the people who think that weather people choose the weather, mm-hmm. right? Like there's this this surprisingly common disconnect from reality. And so when you see these people all the time and they're on a pedestal, I mean, it's like, well, everybody wants to be the king, right? Like that's that we were all even now. I mean, even in current Disney movies, right? You still want to be a prince or a princess. Like this is not a thing that has gone away, mm-hmm. right? People want to ascend and... We don't, most people don't even know about entrepreneurship. They don't know. I mean, we, more people do now, right? Because of people like Elon, but like going back for years and years, you look at people on the silver screen and went, oh, like that's like, there are just enough people who be like, I could, I could maybe do that. Right. Like just to pretend real hard, right? Like I want to go be a famous person. And I think that Hollywood just plays into that so much. I mean, it's, it's kind of gross, right? Like it's. I think it's very gross. Yeah, it's <clears throat> I get I get a weird sensation every time I'm there. Yeah, I It's like Disneyland for real. It's like everyone's playing a 
apart and um but they don't they, they know don't it realize it yeah yeah exactly yeah. it's like they were perfectly fine to live this life and be seen in this way but you know they're going home and taking their makeup off and they're normal human beings inside but like when they're in public they they project this persona but they kind of don't realize that it's so manufactured. It's it's a very weird sensation because you go to their houses and you talk to them. They're normal people, you know. They have, they they have dishes to do and laundry yeah. to do. And I knew both types and people who like were totally bought into it. I mean, for me, it was the the younger celebrities were the, by far the most obnoxious, right? Mm. Because they're still trying to f- figure it out and be like, how am I supposed to be this? Um, I want to name names. There's certain people. I mean, I will say, um, Allison Hannigan, I worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. She's mm-hmm. such a nice human being. Other young actors and actresses, obnoxious, right? Just, and, and I understand because I had just enough taste of success in Hollywood at a young age where I was like, oh, I think I'm pretty important, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was part of what... I came to Austin, like things have gone, it's so gone my way, like so easily with such little effort. Like I worked hard, but like people just kept handing me opportunities. Right. And I thought I'll just pack up and go to Austin. Like, obviously I'm so awesome that awesome shit just keeps happening to me. Mm-hmm. Like if there was, there was a lot of hubris coming in and believe me, I, I got knocked down to several pegs. Like I learned that though that's Hollywood and Hollywood works the way it works. And also I was just dumb luck is dumb luck, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I don't know what it is about fame that attracts people other than that. I mean, it's just like, like moths to a flame, right? Like we're just attracted to bright, shiny objects and bright, shiny people, Mm -hmm. even if it's all fake. I mean, I don't, a lot of people don't know who I am outside of the context of this podcast, but in my little world of security, I'm very well known. Um, so people come up to me and they'll do the, the, like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, I saw you present three years ago at some conference, I'm like, I don't even remember where you're talking about. Like, I mean, I've been in so many places, talked to so many people um, that never really got to my head in that way. What really got to my head was never being wrong. I really needed to always be right. Like the thing about being a celebrity is you need to always be beautiful or handsome or whatever. In my world, it was always about being correct. And so I could see how that could easily be um, an attribute you pick up, uh, it's a faulty software that gets injected into your brain, you know, or somehow this matters when it really doesn't matter at all. Um, obviously people make mistakes. Obviously people have bad hair days. You know, this isn't, this isn't real life, but people really did perceive themselves that way. Um, in Hollywood and a number of different situations, I was like, wow, uh, <laughs> you know, I can't even comment on what's going on right now. Cause I don't have a frame of reference for why you care about this. My wife and I had debates. Um, she uh, tutored Lionel Richie's youngest kids. And this is when um, Nicole and Paris had their show, right? I don't remember what it was called, but I remember she came home talking about how Lionel was lamenting what it's like to be a celebrity parent, right? Like, and you're like, like how difficult that must be. But he's like, you don't understand. He said, all of their friends, every friend that she has, has a mansion. There are more bedrooms in every single one of those homes than they probably even know. Mm-hmm. Like, if I try to discipline 
if I say you can't do this or you can't do that or I'm taking away this or I'm taking away that. So somebody else has a room, a car, a hotel, a jet, like whatever. Like, like I can't turn that off. That's She has access to all of that. And I don't, you know, as, as, as a parent who doesn't have, isn't surrounded by that sort of excess, you can make decisions about what your children do and don't have access to. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly had never thought about it that way. So when you talk about that frame of reference, um, I'm not going to expose my, my kids to celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like uh, social media to, uh, for the uh, celebrity class. Other celebrities or you should avoid them because you're going to turn out naughty or. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I, that's interesting. It, it had never occurred to me that way. And I would say that um, one of the very first conversations we ever had, my wife said, I'm going to make it my mission in life to take your ego down a notch. Wow. And uh, I underestimated work? her commitment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've been married for 18 years. So, <laughs> um, uh, but she refused to go out with me for six years prior to that. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> she really is very committed. Mm-hmm. She's done a very good job of teaching me about a couple of things. And she has a master's in education. Um, concepts of things like, like a multiple intelligences. Um, I was always an academically <laughs> until I got to a, out of my league, right? Like, you know, in the mountains of North Carolina, I was crushing it. Right? Like, <laughs> I was like, I'm so smart. Could trap bears. No, and... <laughs> was, yeah. I was just like, you know, like nobody here knows algebra. Like an algebra, like they called me in, like talk about my SAT scores or whatever. Uh, PSAT is like, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm like, what did I do wrong? And they're like, you got the highest score in the school. Uh, could you keep that under wraps? There's only black in the school. <laughs> I'm like, what did I do wrong? And they're like, just, just keep it to yourself. It's, <laughs> and, and so I thought, I'm not, and I, I joke about this, but I'm not even, it's true. I thought I was a genius, right? Because it wasn't until I, hate I to tell you, you're a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Well, but when I got to USC, right, there's this one guy, there was actually a whole, there was four roommates and there was a guy who was in literally every single one of my mechanical engineering classes. Every single class I was in, the same guy was in. And he was on full scholarship from the Turkish government. And he, every professor that we had graded on a curve at the time. And he would get above 100. Mm-hmm. Meaning no matter what score we got, he adjusted everybody else's grade down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hated this guy. But <laughs> I'm strategic. I said, hey, we should study together. And he went, eh. Okay, right, like, why not? And then we sat down together, and he busted open a textbook, and he starts, like, going through, like, some principles of physics, and I went, okay, so, thanks. And I just, <laughs> like, I have no fucking idea what this guy's talking about. We're supposed to be on the same grade level. I have absolutely, like, I had never been outclassed that way. Like it was a, it was a truly humbling moment uh, until I met my wife. I think that was probably mm. the apex. So something that, but from, I mean, honestly, like I'm not even joking. Like I think our first conversation was an argument talking about like frame of reference, like what you do and don't understand. And we, we, we talked about happiness and sadness. Like she said, if, if Paris Hilton is miserable because her private jet doesn't work that day, that misery is still misery. And I'm like, ah, bullshit. Absolutely not. I refuse to embrace the idea that like your sadness over your lack of absolutely absurd opulence isn't somehow comparable to someone's sadness over a lack of actual food. Right. Um, and, and I don't think we've ever settled that one, but I will say time and time again, she's forced me to take a step back 
and re-examine my frame of reference. Not that this is going to be a very popular way of looking at this, and I'm sure people will eventually hate me for these comments <laughs> that I'm about to make, but Sounds I think good. a lot about torture, um, of various different types of torture. And I was thinking about children in, in particular and how you know you don't give them their toy or you don't do something in the and they're not just crying just to get their toy back, but you're you're actually making them suffer. If you make them sit in a corner or something, they're I mean not terrorized, but they are that is torture. I mean it is as much torture as you know rubber hose or you know putting somebody in a dunk tank or whatever. I mean they're they're tortured, and so obviously torture does work because kids come out of that okay ish. Uh, <laughs> Um, with this is the part that people are not going to like very much, right. but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I do see what you're saying though. Uh, so what you're saying is if timeout works, waterboarding isn't that bad. <laughs> I'm not sure. Didn't, didn't say that. <clears throat> I said it worked. I didn't say it's not bad. Um, but, uh, you know, Paris Hilton being tortured by the fact that she can't make some, you know, event, is not necessarily that dissimilar from you not being able to, you know, afford whatever you need to to survive. It it is it it is a it is something that she's just completely unprepared for, right? Emotionally, yeah. And I think yeah, the emotions are similar. Like if if you were to wire, you know, if you were to plug us both into a obviously the damage potential is way higher right. in one case than the other. Yeah, but. but it, but in terms of the emotional stress it puts on somebody, I think they're weirdly kind of equivalent. Yeah, I think that if you were to like look at the areas of the brain that light up as people are going through these experiences, mm-hmm. um, and I, I volunteered for a medical study when I was in college because oh, I was broke as shit. <laughs> <clears throat> and then they said, we'll pay you $50 an hour. All you got to do is lay in this thing. And I said, and? I said, and we're going to pump a little bit of radioactive fluid in your blood. <laughs> I said, sign me up. $50 an hour. I said, yeah. How many hours? Like four to six? Let's do this. Right? It was a weird day. So I actually, I broke the study by um, realizing that the thing that they wanted, so they played a sound and I was supposed to press a key on a keyboard and they were going to look at the centers of the brain that light up. They're trying to find the correlation between sound and, and, um, and, um, Dexterity, some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I realized after laying in there for like 20 minutes, there was a pattern. I just kept running the same sequence. So I just typed in the sequence, typed in the sequence, typed in the sequence, typed. And they came in after like 45 minutes. Like, what are you doing? What do you mean? I said, you can't do that. I said, well, I can't do what? I said, you can't physiologically, you can't respond to what you're seeing that fast. It's You're getting it within like a fraction of a second. What are you doing? I said, oh, it's a sequence. They're like, like, oh shit! Like fuck! <laughs> they didn't say fuck, time. but they were like, I mean, like yeah, they, like the setup and the cost of this experiment and paying me, and they're mm-hmm. like, you can go. <laughs> like you've broken the whole thing. <laughs> like do I? They're like you still get paid. Here, take your check. Just yeah. get put the fuck out. Of here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that if you were to look at the brain, if you were to do a brain analysis. Um, and there are fascinating studies that we definitely go into if you want to talk about more random shit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it, you, your brain doesn't know the difference. Happiness is happiness, sadness is sadness. Like what feels like torture to one person. And feels like nothing to somebody else. Yeah. yeah. So to be clear, I'm not advocating torture. I'm just saying I think it works in some cases. And that, that I think is an interesting 
Because the more I think about kids, I'm like, boy, we are torturing them, like really torturing them. So I want to clarify, you're not advocating torture. You're saying that it works in the case of children sometimes. I think it, <laughs> I think it works in lots of cases, lots of times, but, uh, but we seem to be okay with doing it with children. <clears throat> and that's, it's, it, it got my, my brain going. It's, it's really, no, it's an was. interesting thought experiment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about is marketing. Marketing. I hear you know a thing or two about it. Yeah. Yeah. I screwed up a lot. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, that's that's how you learn. Yeah. Um, so before we get into your stuff, why don't we do a quick deep dive on the terms B2B, B2C, just so the audience can keep track of what we're talking about. SEO, cool. SEM. Just, a little acronym salad. Just, yeah. Just all the, just cool. the high level stuff and from your perspective, why they're important. Oh boy, you mean to just, just quick, just, just rattle, just, just off. rattle it off. Yeah. All right. Okay. So right, B two B. So is business to business, B two C, business to consumer. Um, you mentioned SEO, search engine, search engine optimization. We'll talk about that one. That's one of my favorite slash least favorite. Okay. Um, PPC pay per click. So if you're on Google and you're one of those people who sees an ad up at the top of the side of the screen, you click on those, and there are people who do that. Uh, we, Google wouldn't. Mm-hmm get paid to do that. That's right. I mean, there's, there's always new acronyms. I think that those are the most common one. I guarantee you like three more are going to pop up. <laughs> as we're having this conversation. Um, here I am on the spot. I didn't make a list of acronyms. No, no, I no. I, I think it's important, uh, specifically the B2B and B2C because I think a lot of people think that marketing is marketing mm-hmm. and it's pretty much the, it's pretty much uniform and you're good at it or you're bad at it. And that's really not at all how this works. Um, much like security, there's different avenues to get good at marketing. You, you can go to be a technical SEO, as you mentioned, or a, good at SEM, strategic marketing. You can be good at business-to-business uh, communications, like communicating to other business commu- leaders. Like if you're trying to market to a CFO, for instance, you're going to do that completely different than you would, let's say, some mom who's going to buy toothpaste or something. It's a completely different style of marketing um, that has some overlap, but uh, not as much as a lot. I think a lot of people might think. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> probably should do it. I'm like, <laughs> all right. Yeah, um, thank you. That, that hurt. Sorry. <laughs> uh, if you, they're, they're experts, right? So we, uh, speaking of, of acronyms, right? So um, SMEs, right? S- uh, subject matter experts. If you're an SEO, search engine optimization subject matter expert, right? Then you're going to be extraordinarily adept at understanding, A, how the algorithms work, right? So when you go to Google and you type in a term uh, or you type in, you know, a phrase, what is going to pop up and like, you know, understanding what people do type in, and what happens when they type it in. All of that is makes you an expert in search engine optimization and knowing what to do on your end, on your website, or in, in league with Google to figure out how to... like. So Google is just... It's just a relevance engine, right? That's, it's, that's what it's designed to do, is whatever you type in, Google's job is to give you the most relevant answer for you, right? That's all Google does. I know you know this, but we're saying it for the audience, right? I actually, I think I disagree with that statement, but, okay. but I, but I like, that's definitely the way that Google wants to portray themselves for sure. Right. <clears throat> okay. I, I'm, I'm, no, ahead, I want to hear this. Okay. okay. All right. I can, I can, I can do my version. Yeah, please, please, okay. please. Yeah. Well, I think that was how it used to work for sure. <clears throat> Back in the days of, um, of, uh, 
an algorithm called um, um, not Rank Brain, the one before that. I'm spacing on the name of it. Uh, page Rank. Back in the Page Rank days, uh, that I think that is correct. I think it was all about relevance, and how they defined relevance broadly was how many people are linking to this thing and how popular are those things. And so it's a graph database and it, things that are highly linked mean that they're more important because a lot of people like those things and they're talking about them, et cetera. Things that are not well linked, people don't care about them as much. So less likely that most people are going to care. So if I'm, if I'm typing t-shirts and everyone's linking to t-shirts.com, that's probably more likely to be the thing. So that's, that's to your point, the relevance part of it. <clears throat> not anymore though. Uh, now I think they're optimizing for something different. It's more, there is some local SEO stuff going on. So they're trying to optimize not for what's relevant, but what's relevant in your geography, let's say. But even worse than that, now they're starting to take over the search engine themselves. So now it, the top of the fold is almost all just Google. It's like, you know, the very first top of the page is going to say like, Google and then you're gonna say Gmail and you know your thing or whatever then it's gonna right. have the Google logo then it's gonna have the search box like all of that's Google properties everything up at that top inch or so is Google and then you get into the ads and now there's two to five ads or whatever and then you might have a map let's say you're searching for uh, uh, for like a hotel in my region or something or some you're gonna go visit somewhere you're gonna get a map with uh, a couple of reviews or something underneath it you're, all of that everything on there is clicking to Google so once upon a time, yeah, they're trying to get you to relevant stuff. Right. Somewhere. What they're trying to do now. Tell yeah. me if I'm wrong. Here's, yeah, where, yeah. here's where I think you're going with this. Yes, yes. Their job is to keep your eyeballs. Right. Exactly. Um, because you can monetize that, right? So we've been, the advertising model that's been sold for eons is reach, reach and frequency. Total bullshit. But there's still enough people that buy it. I know so many CMOs who are like, you know, what's my reach on this? And I'm like, fucking kidding me here we go okay mm -hmm. um right so what they want is the more eyeball time they have i mean you can literally sell eyeball time right they're a business and their job is to maximize their returns and so the more eyeball time they have that's that's the number one thing i think that they have to sell everything else sort of hinges on that so the, the top but uh, the top two or three to five whatever results let's say uh are ads mm-hmm their goal is that you don't scroll down any further. Correct. They want you to click on one of those ads. So you're not even going to see the relevant thing that we were once talking about, the, how it used to work. That's down at the bottom. It's not, it's beyond the fold now. Uh, not in every single case on every single search results page, but enough right. of them, especially the high popularity ones, that you're probably never going to see what we you were just talking about, the original way it used to work. So, now I believe their system rank bank brain. Sure. It's got some of that stuff built into it still. Absolutely. But I think they're actually optimizing for click throughs on ads. That's it. Their new system is entirely designed to try to get you to click on ads and nothing more. Yeah. I have on a couple of occasions accidentally clicked on like, just cause we weren't really paying attention. You're right. So it looks just enough like an organic result mm -hmm. that you click on it. Now, something that blows my mind is, I mean, I understand if you're Pizza Hut and I Google Pizza Hut, you have to have a paid placement there because you know Domino's is, 100%. Like, those are the most expensive ads in the world, right? Like, you're a head-to-head -head competitor at a big brand, right? So Domino's wants nothing more in the world 
them for people to see a Domino's link when they Google Pizza Hut. So Pizza Hut has to buy that link. I kind of liken it to, let's say you have a billboard on top of Pizza Hut. What are you going to do? Are you really going to let Domino's buy that? Right. I mean, the the landlord wants to put up a billboard and he goes over and sells it to Domino's. You're like, what the hell, man? (laughs) So you have to have the opportunity to buy that billboard. Right. Right. And, and Google certainly will sell you that billboard, but they're also going to sell it to Domino's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, did you say to camera? Was that a you deliberate t- thing? You can, you can talk to the camera anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Just you have something to tell. Talk to cam- no. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Everything we just talked about, however, is predicated on the, the premise that they're a relevance engine because without that premise, Everything else goes away, mm-hmm. right? The idea is I go to Google, I type shit in, it's supposed to give me the most relevant answer. And we know full well they're going to give me ads and they're going to give me map links and shit like this. And they're going to give me YouTube links because they own YouTube, right? They're going to give me all of these things that are designed to keep me in their world. But all of that is predicated on the idea that they give me the best organic results. Absolutely. And so a search engine optimization expert, their job is to convince Google that aside from all the paid shit... And by the way, if you're smart, then you know you're also going to make sure that your your brand is on is on YouTube, right? Because they want to offer up YouTube as one of the options. Mm-hmm. So you got to make sure your shit's on YouTube. All of that still hinges on the idea, right? That sorry, I, I lost. So your job as a search engine optimization SEO expert is to understand how the algorithm works, or whatever Machiavellian things are happening. <laughs> Your job is to understand how that works and then figure out what to do about it to make sure that, that if I'm paying you, my shit shows up higher than it would otherwise. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have to be just Google. It could be Bing, but it can also be completely unrelated things like YouTube search or yeah. TikTok search or whatever. <clears throat> All those are search engine optimizations just for different types of search engines. Yeah. Um, I still don't understand who uses Bing, but <laughs> it's out there. I've heard about it, right? Okay. So I do think there's a giant caveat to this, which is you can be an expert in all these specifics. So I spent two years to teaching email marketing. Um, you can be an expert in email. You can be an expert in search. You can be an expert in ads, media buying, um, creative design. Right? There's so many things in the world of marketing that you can be a spe- an expert in specifically. But people who are really true marketing strategists understand that word of mouth still is still the thing, right? And, and we all, I feel like I've, had, I've said this so many times, it seems silly to say it, but I still understand that there are plenty of people who don't live in this world. The modern version of word of mouth, of course, is social media, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, did I'm like, holy shit. And I post this on Twitter or Facebook or TikTok or Instagram, right? Um, don't use TikTok kids. Don't use TikTok. <laughs> the, the bottom line is, can I get people to share my shit? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that if you're a real marketing strategist, you understand that if you're great at marketing, that you don't have to, like all of those things, like I can hire someone to go do SEO and optimize my, my stuff, or I can find someone who really, really understands how to make something interesting enough that it gets all those links, right? I don't have to go artificially create those links. 
Because I'm just going to create this thing and people are going to just share it like fucking crazy. There you go. Okay. So you used to advise or still currently advise uh, MD Crest Ventures, Media Tech Ventures, uh, and you founded the experience firm. I did. Um, so what to you comprises a good brand? Like I, I saw somewhere you you uh, wrote like, have fun. But that's a, that's pretty large like scope of things. Like, like what, in your opinion, makes a good brand? Like when you look at them, you're like, that's a solid brand. I, is it a, is it color schemes? Is it, is it the name of the company? Is it, is it the videos they produce? Like what, what is it that to you stands out? Like they're going to do well. Yeah. So, um, Jeremiah Gardner wrote a book called the lean brand and he articulated it better than I think anybody that I ever have. I had the opportunity to introduce him at the social good summit at South by Southwest, uh, I don't remember how many years ago that we did in partnership with the United Nations and the World Food Program. And he was one of our speakers. And he came in and talked about, he said, basically, your brand is your relationship with your customers. Is that, is that a, don't do this. No, just a little closer. A little closer, okay. Um, I think it's the best explanation that I've ever heard, right? Your brand is how people relate to your business. Let me be more specific. So I had the opportunity to launch a couple of things, right? So I started a lot of shit, some successfully, some not. We created the Austin Entrepreneur Network and Texas CEO Magazine out of the same original brand. So originally, the company slash brand was Austin Business District Magazine. That's a mouthful. Yeah, it was a mouthful. And it had been around for a while, so people knew about it. But, but a lot of people thought that it was associated with the Austin Business Journal. They were really confused. They didn't understand, like, why does the Austin Business Journal, which is a magazine have a thing called Austin Business District Magazine. like, um, And it was it was totally unrelated. And so when I joined Jason Myers, who was the founder, editor, publisher, he had all of the hats, right, at Austin Business District Magazine, he knew everybody in town. I mean, it was one of the most fortunate things that could have happened to me because he introduced me to everyone, and I became his representative to the Chamber of Commerce. And I would go to all these different people at the Chamber of Commerce who were all business representatives and say, hey, do you know what Austin Business District Magazine is? And they'd be like, yeah, I think I've heard of it. It's like a, an entrepreneur thing. <laughs> Maybe. So they thought it was like a sub-brand of some sort? Yeah. They're like, it's kind of an entrepreneur magazine, I think. Or some would be like, isn't it like, a, like an executive magazine kind of thing? And I went back to Jason and I said, Jason, people are like, it's – you know, they don't know if it's an entrepreneur magazine or, or an executive magazine or a, like a, a strategy magazine. or and, and he's like, well, it's kind of all of those things. I'm like, I don't know much at the time, right? I had been in the entertainment business. I came to Austin. Um, I met a CEO at a golf tournament that we put on for the casting crew of Friday Night Lights. And he said, hey, did you used to work in the PR department? I went, yeah. He said, I need someone to run my PR marketing. I went, yeah, <laughs> sure. How hard... Can that be right? So again, I had this hubris. I'd been successful and I got lucky and, and, uh, and I found out that some things are way harder than they sound. Um, but we spent a fortune on advertising and it wasn't working. I really, really wanted to understand why. So, um, not long after, I mean, as I was leaving that company, um, first, it's definitely the first job I got fired from, um, <laughs> I, the CEO said, he said, I love and hate the same thing about you. He's like, you're the only employee I've ever had in my life who's in my office every day telling me things I don't want to hear. Mm. <laughs> okay. You're welcome, I guess. <laughs> um, Just lucky, I guess. 
And and I've I've never had it in me to just go with the flow. I've just I don't have it. Right? Like that's fine. This sucks. The company's making terrible decisions. But hey, what can we do? We work here. I I'm not that guy. I am not your guy. I will be in there every day, being like, "This makes no fucking sense. What are we doing?" Right? And trying to fix it until I'm like, you know what? I don't think I can fix this. Um. So when I went to Jason and he said, "Well, it's kind of all of those things," I'm like, "That's not a thing." I'm like, "I don't know a whole lot, but I know that that's not a thing. Like, you can't kind of be. That's not how." I didn't have the language for it at the time. So when I had spent all this money on marketing, I'm spending $60,000 a month in Austin. I'm buying every TV station, every radio station, every I'm putting full page ads in the Statesman three times a week, full color. They are gorgeous and no conversions. Nobody gives a shit. Like, well, that doesn't make sense, right? This is what you're supposed to do. All the media reps said this is what you're supposed to do. And that's what they do for a living. Why isn't it working? It is working. They're getting paid. Yeah. It's working great. Yeah, they're doing great. <laughs> doing shit for us. It's working great for them. Mm-hmm. And so I started researching marketing. Like, who who knows what the most effective form of marketing is? Somebody must know, right? And so I'm like, and, and word of mouth, word of mouth, everything, word of mouth. It turns out the world's foremost expert in word of mouth marketing was here. And um, Sam Decker and others had just founded WAMA, the Word of Mouth Marketing Association. Or it happened like like right around that exact time. And so, oh, okay, so word of mouth is the most, is the thing, right? That's the thing that everybody knows is the most effective. Like, and it's not, like, it's not even like debated much. Everyone kind of gets that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I've now spoken, fast forward, I've spoken at thousands of, I've spoken to thousands of people at dozens of conferences. And I've asked this question from the stage many, many times. What's the most effective form of marketing? And word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth. Twice in that entire time. Someone raised their hand and said something other than word of mouth. And both times, they said the same thing. And it was somebody in the back of the room. They raised their hand and I said, what you got? And they said, PPC. Both times. I said, pay-per-click. You're telling me pay-per-click is the most effective form of marketing in the whole world. And they went, yes. Both times. Where do you work? (laughs) I said, okay. What do you do for a living? (laughs) PPC. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. No, I love this. This is great. Maybe I'm wrong. You said you like to be right. I like to be right. I also like to find out if I'm wrong so I can be right. Mm -hmm. Where do you get most of your business? Long pause. They both said the same thing. What'd they say? I'm just going to go on a limb here. The search engines, the Googles of the world. Referrals. Oh, really? Both of them. Well, if you optimize for PPC and you have nothing else, you might just get PPC and not, no referrals whatsoever. So it could go the other way. No. In these two particular cases, they both told me that where they got the majority of their business was from being referred, right? So yeah. I'm like, so, so this conversation's over, right? We can all agree here, right? Yeah. Like we all agree it's word of mouth. Even the two people who said that it wasn't agreed that's where they get their business. Huh. So the question is, how do you get it, right? If everybody knows this is the thing, I'm not aware of anybody anywhere. Like I'm, I'm like looking, I'm like reading, you know, there's a word of mouth marketing book wasn't even out at the time. And I'm trying to like, where's, where's the playbook on word of mouth marketing? Like what is, what does that entail? And it, you know, so it was quite a long rabbit hole to come up with really obvious answers, right? If you come home at the end of the day, like what do you tell the people you love? What do you tell them about your day? I need a beer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Should you choose to share the details of your day (laughs) 
What do we talk about? Yeah, all kinds of things. Um, in fact, uh, one of the things I do every single night uh, is I, at a certain time of night, I say, let's talk about three good things that happened today. And even if the day was pretty shitty, we find three, it could be tiny, could be tiny little things like, oh, the cat was really purry today or something, whatever, right? Some tiny little thing. Um, just something to kind of train your brain to look for things that are positive throughout the day. And um, yeah, it could, could be we saw a good movie or saw some friends or you know, whatever, whatever was good. I love that you guys do that. I love that, right? Because it's it's a healthier way to be. <laughs> and the beer. Also. Yes, and the beer. <laughs> For me, it's whiskey, but I'm yeah. right here with you, right? You talk about the best and worst things. We all do it, right? I had a great day. I had a terrible day. Why? What happened, right? But the thing that you don't talk about is like, you're never going to believe this. It's the most totally 100% average thing happening to you today. Traffic was like 40 miles an hour. All the way, like, unless that's like, oh shit, right? Like, we don't talk about average things, and everybody knows that. We talk about terrible things, and we talk about great things. So, if your business has to make a decision, if you want people talking about it, well, you got two choices. Do you want to suck, or do you want to be great, right? But being average, if you take a simple statistic, which has been accepted for years and years, right? So, Michael Gerber wrote about it, I think, better than anybody has. He wrote about it in E-Myth, E-Myth Revisited. You know, 80% of businesses fail. Now, that's a largely misunderstood statistic, but it's still, for all intents and purposes, it's a good basic number, right? 80% of businesses fail. So what's the average? The average is failure. Bottom line, average is failure. You cannot afford to be average as an entrepreneur. You literally can't. You're almost guaranteed to fail if you're average, right? And the thing I tell people, the irony, when I, and I speak at every college in town, right? And I tell these kids, I'm like, listen, I got really good news and really bad news. The really good news is the bar is so fucking low. You have no idea how low the bar is because most people, they don't know what they're doing and they don't give a shit. They're phoning it in. They're just trying to figure out how to get from one day to the next. They don't actually give two shits about the thing they're trying to do or whether or not they're great at it, mm -hmm. right? Just being the one person in the room, I'll give you a specific example. 2010 or 11. I'm speaking to 300 students at UT. And uh, we did this thing where I would speak to the students and then I would speak to the business owners and then we would have them all get together. It was sort of like an intern fair. 300 students at the AT&T Center. And I said, hey, does anybody in this room want to tell me why they're here? What are you looking to do? Because I, I know a lot of companies and I may be able to help you. I don't know. But like, tell me what you do. I sure can't help you if I don't know who you are or what you're trying to do. One person. Taylor Letterman, one person gets up and says, well, I taught myself WordPress. I was hoping maybe I can find some companies that are looking for help with WordPress. Easy. Got it. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Crickets. Mm -mm. Fucking crickets. 300 people in this room. Okay. Good luck. We go upstairs. I talk to the business owners. I say a bunch of kids are going to come upstairs in a minute. If you're looking for something business owner... If you're looking for a specific skill, tell me. I know a bunch of students. I don't know shit about these students, but I know a bunch <laughs> of students, right? Just tell me what you're looking for. Maybe I can help. They come to me, six different people. I'm looking for somebody who knows WordPress. Taylor, get over here. Four of those people hired Taylor on the spot. Now, I didn't find out till later that Taylor had made a strategic decision to drop out of UT and teach himself something that he thought was useful. 
because he's like, this school thing, I don't get where this is going, but I can learn something useful with the same amount of time. Roughly, Taylor goes on to become like CTO of like a company that designs wall, uh, software for Wall Street, right? Because they hired a CTO, spent a bunch of money, all went to shit. And they're like, who's got a good idea? It's like, I got an idea. They did that. And they're like, great, you're in charge, right? One fucking person and 300 people. And we're friends to this day. And I've sent him so many people. If somebody calls me up and they're like, I mean, he's now way beyond designing shit on WordPress, right? But like, he's I would work on Wall Street. <laughs> I mean, might still do your WordPress site. You never yeah. know. I mean, <laughs> Taylor's been very, very kind to me. If I have like, if I had a project and I'm stuck and I'm Taylor's like, I got you. Like, it doesn't, he's like, you don't even have to just whatever you need, just tell me and I'll do it. I don't even care, right? Um, it is astounding to me. I cannot tell you how many times I'll speak in front of a group of people and say, tell me how I can help you or I can't help you, right? So I like to replace this term. We all know search engine optimization, if you're in the marketing world, with uh, with conversational optimization, right? So so what, back to my question, what does make a good brand then? When, you, when you're looking at somebody, you're like, that's hot. They're going to do well. Like, what are the attributes? So believe it or not, I was about to answer your question. Oh, good. Okay. No, right. I seemed like I was okay. off in left field, but I was right there. Okay. All right. So here's what it comes down to. You, Robert Hansen, have a brand. Sure. Right? And I tell people all the time, listen, if I'm having a conversation with somebody, tell me what are the keywords in that conversation where I go, time out, you got to meet Robert. That's it. Right? Like, how I relate to you, what I think of when I think of you, like all of the impression in my brain. I mean, you could get, there's a complicated explanation. There's plenty of complicated explanations of what a brand is, but fundamentally the question is how do I relate to you? Like what place do you hold in my mind? That's your brand. That's the R snake brand. That's the Robert Hansen brand. Like those things are actually a little bit different. Right. But like when somebody comes to me and goes, Oh my God, I'm looking for a podcast or if they mention cybersecurity, fucking Robert. Like it doesn't even, I don't even need any more context. Someone's like, Hey, cybersecurity. Yeah. No, hold on. I know the guy you talk to that guy, right? Like I don't even have to think about it. So with Austin business district, it was so confusing. We went and we split it in two. We split it into the Austin entrepreneur network and Texas CEO magazine, neither of which zero confusion, no confusion at all. The Austin entrepreneur network, everybody understood what that was. Mm -hmm. And everybody who cared about Austin entrepreneurship wanted to be part of it. That's much more clear. Period. Texas CEO magazine, like people who were impossible to get on their calendars for years and for like months, their admins, like, I'll get back to them. Like, they're like, oh, I'm with Texas CEO magazine. I'm I'm free now. Did you you guys want to, did you want to get together? I mean, part of it, you know, we went and got, you know, Brett Hurt agreed to be on the first cover. We went and sat at Bizarre Voice with their, their new facility like on New Year's Day, like it was like literally us and him and like one employee in the whole building. He's just telling us his whole life story. Um, and then, of course, you know, Brett's in the magazine. Everybody wants to be in the magazine. That's a brand. Mm-hmm. Texas CEO magazine is exactly what it sounds like. We profile the most important people running companies in Texas. And everyone's like, fucking sign me up. All right. You said you had some failures. Let's hear it. <laughs> I think it's worth Okay. Okay. Let me, let me, let me preface why I think this is interesting. So, uh, when I'm interviewing people, uh, for a job, not like mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to hire these people, there's a couple of standard questions I always ask, um, which I will talk about some of the others some other day, just not really relevant to this one. But one of the questions I ask is tell me a time you were compromised. And, um, I would say about half the people who answer the question, they're like, Oh, I've never been, I've never been compromised. And I'm like, okay, the interview's over. 
you can you can leave now. Because um, you either don't know or you're lying. You're, either way, you're you're lying or, out. or or you're so new that you have zero experience at all. And I mean, like literally never plugged in a computer type, right. no experience whatsoever, because you've clearly, you know, accidentally clicked on a link. You've clearly, you know, had your computer running too slow one day. You've, you know, something happened to you at one point, your credit card got stolen. You know, it had, it, you, something happened to you at some point. It may not have been dramatic. It might've been minor, but if you were not creative enough to even remember that that happened, you know, you're probably not going to do very well in security. You know, it's, you know, I'll, I'll pass on this, this person, but occasionally they'll get a really good one. They're like, okay, so, <laughs> and you get to hear this insider look and how they dealt with this adversity. And, you know, sometimes it's company related, so they have to kind of hedge it a little bit and, you know, have to change some names and, you know, places or whatever. But you get this inside baseball about how they think about things. And that is incredibly useful, both both from understanding how they think about the world, but also, you know, I learn things like, oh, maybe that maybe I should use some of these tactics when I'm dealing with these types of situations. So um, I think it's one of the biggest learning tools. In fact, another quick anecdote, just to get you where my head is at. Um, there was some CEO, I forget which one, like, like the CEO of GE or something, some, some mega CEO. Uh, and he was asked, uh, would you rather give your kid a hundred thousand dollars and have them go build a business and fail and, and fail, not, and succeed and fail or give them enough money to go through college, which would you prefer to do? Which, which one do you think would have a better, uh, net output for, for their life? And, uh, and so he, he said, uh, would definitely have my, my kid fail. And then they started asking all these other CEOs and vast number of them said, yes, uh, they would have their kid take the money and fail because no you learn, question. it's like, you get, you get your MBA for free. Uh, you learn a lot about business, uh, the real world business. You have something in your resume and it hurt and you're never going to let that happen. Versus again. the MBAs I get to talk to mm-hmm. or they're like, well, the spread, I'm like, fuck, listen, <laughs> you have literally no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, I remember I, I didn't do this on purpose, but I, I got, I got called into a company. It's a very prominent Austin company. And they're like, we have this problem. And, uh, they, they're like, this is our head of marketing. She just got her MBA, you know, and I'm so sorry. I didn't even think about it. I was like, she's like, I know it's bullshit. I'm like, okay. Whew, <laughs> Whoops. Um, I could have gone the other way. Yeah, no, I thought she was going to be super offended. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a friend who said like MBAs are great. They're just like, they have this very, very like, yes or may I have another attitude that is used to being abused and told to do stupid <laughs> shit. They can make great employees. I'm like, this is terrible. So, um, sorry to anybody out there with an MBA. I'm really sorry. Okay. So, oh my God. So my very first client at the experience firm, and um, so I had taken a job as vice president of a swanky downtown advertising agency, working with some of the biggest brands in the world, and um, oh, I hated it so much. Total frat party all the time. It was gross. I didn't like it. Um, It's not on my LinkedIn, because I didn't want people to know. And it was, that was a fail. I mean, I was in and out of there, and like, few months. I was like, this is awful. Right. And, um, you know, it, like a lot of companies now in this day and age, they brought me in on contract to try it out. And we both agreed, let's leave it there. Now the irony is they asked me to come, you know what? Never mind that. So, um, went to the advertising agency, found out that ideas that I pitched at the time became some of their most successful campaigns in history, but I was long gone by then. Mm. Started the experience firm. 
And I get referred to this client. So one of my co-founders had worked, had done some sort of management consulting. And I didn't, at the time, if you'd asked me what management consulting was, I, I would have had no idea. Wouldn't even known where to start with the definition of management consulting. But, um, so I get referred to the CEO and I go and, and meet with him and he, and he goes, yeah, I, I want to, I, we've got this brand, you know, we've got super cheap signs and, um, we really want to just like take it to the next level. We've been growing, like he's in, I think, you know, one of those entrepreneur organizations and, um, I mean, they're doing great things and they keep growing out, growing their space. They're looking for a new space. They really want to work in the culture and they're and they really just want to like take this shit to the next level. Right. And I come in, you know, full of piss and vinegar thinking we're going to take, you know, I'm like looking at this, this is as brands go like super cheap signs is it's super on the nose, right? Still around today. Mm -hmm. Still get their emails. Um, and but I thought like we we're gonna take this to the to to the to another level, right? And what I have learned over the years is that more often than not, the employees already know what needs to happen. When you go in as a consultant, the employees already they already they've been trying to get shit done for a long time, and then you come in and you propose the exact same ideas, and they're like, "This is." fucking bullshit. Like, oh, it's a good idea when this asshole says it. Okay, fine, let's do that. So I just tell the employees right up front and said, here's what's about to go down. Like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to pitch some ideas you probably already had and then they're going to go, that's great. And then you're going to go, fuck you, right? <laughs> so why don't you just tell me what the good ideas are? Just tell me what you want to do. Tell me what would totally work here and then I'll just go be the champion for your idea and we'll get it done. And they're like, oh, you're awesome. This is great, right? You want the employees to like you for the most part. Yeah. And um, and they had this idea that they really loved, and it was called Signs and Bacon. It's a silly idea, but it's a fun idea, right? We can yeah. have a fun thing. In a yeah, minute. I like this. I want to yeah. talk about fun. Signs and Bacon. All right. Mike, explain this to me. And I said, well, we were thinking that if you buy a sign, we'll give you something made of bacon. And I'm like, this is just dumb enough to be brilliant. <laughs> I fucking... Love this idea, right? So I'm talking to my partners. We're drinking beer, and um, and we're like, and and so the, the CEO is like, yeah, he's like, we kind of went down this road. Like, we created a brand. It's a it's a really cool brand, and we just didn't really do anything. But I'm like, let's bring it back. Let's do it. This is perfect. This is so experienced firm, right? Signs and bacon. Like, you buy signs, you get bacon. Fucking why not? It's gonna be great. And um, one of my partners, I said, okay, so what's the, What's, what's like, what's the top of the heap here, right? Like, what's the best thing you can possibly get that's made of bacon? Like, what are you aiming at? Like, sort of like you're building up, is this like a reward points kind of thing? I have no idea. <laughs> Some sort of lattice. So my buddy goes, duh, a pig. And we're like, we've had a lot of beer. We're like... <laughs> someone's getting a pig, right? <laughs> so we literally the same day go have shirts printed like a bunch. I still have some at my house that say someone's getting a pig. If I'd known this was going to come up, I would have worn the shirt. <laughs> now we realized a couple things. One, uh, not necessarily cool uh, for girls to wear it out to a bar. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't think all the details through. Um, this was pointed out by one of my girlfriends who's like, sure. she's like, I'm a little overweight. I don't think I should do that. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Wow. Um, 
we we went and bought a pig. So one of my very first business expenses is I bought a pot-bellied pig, and we named him, of course, Kevin Bacon. Mm. So we went and bought Kevin Bacon the pig, and we have this whole thing where, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna roll out this brand. We're gonna make a fun video about like, you know, this company is the CEO is always coming up with crazy ideas. This is true, right? They can, you know, like he had a sign outside of his office as like, you know, like chief idea officer or some shit like that. And uh, or no, it was an innovation department. And so they're getting they're getting a new office and it's swanky. So we shoot this commercial. And um and we use this commercial. We introduce Kevin Bacon, the pig, right? It was called like, Meet Kevin Bacon. And I call a friend. M-E-A-T or? Uh, <laughs> M-E-E-T. Okay. Kevin right. Bacon, one word. So okay. we can't get sued by Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and um, Totally different. And yeah, so like, um, you know, in this video, which Inc. named one of the, the top five uh, startup videos of the year, Inc. Magazine. Not that it helped us a whole lot, but that did happen. Um, you know, the CEO takes a phone call and he's like, oh my God, we're getting Kevin Bacon. I need to sign him. And the employees are like, did he say Kevin Bacon? I think he said Kevin Bacon, right? So they're like, well, there's like this red carpet and we have, I called a friend of mine who I knew had a very nice car. And, and you you know this person. Okay. And uh, his name is Worley. Okay. And I call Worley and I'm like, hey, can I put a pig in your car? And he goes, Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Of course he can. I'll never not love him for that, right? For that alone. And he brings this really nice car, right? Like, And we put Kevin Bacon the pig in the back of his car. And so he pulls up. I'm dressed as secret security, like secret service, like like security. I open the back door. And then, like, Kevin Bacon the pig gets out. And, like, this whole crowd is, like, getting around, like, Kevin Bacon. They're cheering. And they're, like, and, like, we got a kid who's, like, that's a pig. And another kid is like, well, I think he's cute. And they're like, he's kind of cute, right? Like, that's the whole sort of spiel, right? So we shoot this video. We spend a significant amount of money. This is our first client. Like, we're going all in. We're shooting this commercial. It's going to go everywhere. Uh, a couple things. Uh, Kevin Bacon does not like riding in cars at all. <laughs> so the very first thing that Kevin Bacon does, and he only has to ride, like, into the shot, right? right. You know, action cut, right? right? The first thing he does is shit all over where he's <laughs> Like, he absolutely just defecates in the backseat. And I'm looking at Whirly and he's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, what do you like? Are, are we done here? Are you out? And he's like, fucking just get it out. And like, let's go. Like, let's do this thing. Right. Yeah. Like I'm here. Cars here. Pigs here. It can only get worse. Yeah. Like let's fucking, let's, let's get this shit done. Right. We're, we're in this far. And I'm like, God bless you. Right. Cause I'm thinking like, Oh, car left shoots over. Fuck it. Right. Uh-huh. Um, in the end, like we get every, we get all the assets together. We go to do the push and we just kind of like, we just kind of flubbed it. Like we, we had contacted the news and like we'd shared the video and we had this big email blast that was supposed to go out like announcing signs and bacon to their massive email list. And they do have a very large and very loyal email list. And like we had to, we had a separate site called signs and bacon where you would go and you would like, there were signs, but they, it was trying to find a premium customer for a brand called Super Cheap Signs. Mm-hmm. That was our first, that was our fatal flaw I in see. the plan, right? They have a very clear brand. They have a very, people have a very clear expectation of that brand. People don't expect Super Cheap Signs to come at them with, hey, what if you spent a bunch more money and we gave you some random shit? Right. They're just like, why fucking, they didn't care. Right. It was the wrong audience. In retrospect, it was obvious. Like super cheap signs. Customers just want super cheap signs. Mm -hmm. They don't want super cheap signs and gimmicks. They don't want 
medium price signs and gimmicks for sure. Um, and so the whole thing, like after all of this build up and we shot this thing and we sent out this email blast and just kind of, just, just kind of tanked. So, had, so it wasn't so much that it wasn't fun or that fun doesn't work. It's just that you chose the wrong kind of fun. It needed yeah. to be fun that was more directly in line with their brand. It was off brand. And that's the bottom line is that it was fun for the employees. You're so focused on the employees having something that they wanted to talk about. Like as a, I'm a big believer in culture, you're so focused on the employees having something that they loved because they love these signs and they love someone's getting a pig and they love this logo they had with signs of bacon. I can show it to you later. Um, that we lost track of, will the customer actually give a shit? And they did not. And it crashed and burned. And, um, yeah, that was a short-lived contract. Uh, it was expensive, you know, for them. And, um, you know, I, I ordered some signs from them later. I called the CEO <laughs> and I said, hey, how much for, like, this many signs that their custom order? And he's like, $60,000. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, you know, and... Um, you know, we're still friends, right? But, like, uh, it, they took a hit. We under-delivered, right? Like, he's, I'm not getting any referrals from yeah. from John, and I like the guy a lot, and I think, you know, he, he went on a limb for us, and I appreciate that. But um, I, I someday we'll figure out how to make it up to him, but I haven't yet. Well, yeah, I think you just did. A lot of people <laughs> have heard his name multiple times now, so. Um, okay. So tell us about cost-efficient marketing. So that was a very expensive version of that. But I've heard you mention at least twice now in various conversations you and I have had, there's a way to do marketing that doesn't cost an arm and a leg that people can do. And I'm assuming it's along these viral routes, but I'm you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Uh, some way to get your brand out there, talk to the audience, find more people, get more word of mouth without having to spend $60,000 on an ad that's just going to fall on the floor. Okay. Some ideas. So let me give you my version of your, your torture theory. Sure. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> people are like, it's really hard to get press. Like, no, it's not. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's so easy. It's so easy. Um, and so the example I always give is the same. It's called dead puppy marketing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to issue a press release at 8 a.m. this morning saying that we're going to murder a puppy live on Facebook at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know who's going to be there? Everybody. <laughs> Protesters, people who are all for it, like it's going to be a fucking madhouse. Every news station in town will be there to see that you're going to, please nobody murder a fucking puppy. But like the point <laughs> is, it's not hard to get attention. It's not hard to get attention at all. We know that, right? Sure. It's hard to get the right attention. And it's the first, the only point in saying that is to make you break away from the idea that it's hard to get attention mm -hmm. because that belief is fundamentally false. It's not true at all. Right. And once you understand that it's not hard to get attention, then the question is, what are you going to do for that attention? There's a tremendous number of things you can do. I mean, you'll see, um, you know, like someone will post a, a rap or a poem, even something on, on TikTok that's meaningful that like, just like goes absolutely viral. Um, Prince EA was doing this even before TikTok became a thing. You need to make an impression. I mean, I think that the biological term is arousal, right? Like, so it's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. So all marketing is just behavioral science. That's all it is, okay. right? There's nothing else to it. You know, Daniel Kahneman, thinking fast and slow. That's all it is. 
Your brain has one primary job. Do you know what your brain's primary job is? Keeping me alive. How does it do that? <sighs> Anticipation of potential future threats, whatever that is. Right. How does it anticipate potential future threats? Some of it is rote uh, built into me, and some of it is imagination and constructing little mini models of what I think the future might look like if I take A or B path. If you spent all of your time reacting to imaginary scenarios in your brain, do you feel like that would be productive or unproductive? I mean, depends on how good you are at imagining things. <laughs> okay. uh, but I, I, I get your point, though, for sure. I think the bulk of people's imagination about what could go wrong is terribly misguided and, and pointless. People don't risk model things properly, especially quickly. They can do it if they really reason through it, but most of the time people are like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that ever happened. They didn't call me, and therefore, it's like, they might have just been busy. <laughs> you know? I'm trying to remember this guy's name. is an Air Force guy who came up with this expression. called an, an oodle loop. Mm-hmm. Your brain's primary job is to eliminate unnecessary information. He was an Air Force general. I forget his name. Right. I, yep. And so observe, orient, decide, act. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing all day, every day, when you're sitting here, when you're walking through a parking lot, right? So if you're walking through a parking lot, somebody yells, what do you do? It depends on what they're yelling. Oh, yeah. Yes, I give my attention for sure. Yes. Observe. Mm-hmm. Is this, are they yelling at me? No. Yelling at a friend? Doesn't fucking involve me. Right. But if they're yelling at somebody else, is it angry? Does it look like it might escalate? Right. Like, do I need to spend more time on this? If they're just yelling at, oh, my God, Bob, you're like, Fucking doesn't affect me. Like, I'm moving on. I don't give a shit. Oh, that's a thing that makes noise. Oh, yes. It's like a gong. We're doing that again. Okay. Um, sorry. Sorry, Chris. Just, okay. I'm just bringing it out. Yeah, thanks. That, that <laughs> look, look at the beautiful sign we yeah. have here. Yes, yes. Check out the brand. Yes, okay. there it is. Um, you have to decide. So I say, when I use this example, I usually say, look, most of us saw a dog at some point today. If you've been anywhere to anything, chances are you saw a dog that you didn't know. Whether or not you responded to that dog depended on a couple of things, right? Was it barking? If it was, you're looking. Oh, not barking at me. It's tied up. It's not angry. Whatever. I'm moving on, right? Um, is the dog off leash? I'm paying extra attention to the dog, either because the dog might be a threat or because the dog might be in danger. Either way, right? So I'm observing to decide whether or not I need to give a shit about this information mm-hmm. in the vast majority of the time. So when we look at babies and they're laying on their back and they're drooling, the predominant thought is like, oh, they're not doing anything. No, it's exactly the opposite. They're doing exactly what you would do if you were just taking in information, all of it, all the time. Just, oh, uh, uh, that's what babies are doing. They're just processing fucking everything because their filters aren't in place yet, right? So as an adult, you get really good filters and you, you get better and better and better at deciding what you care about, what you don't care about. And what we don't care about, the vast majority of the time is marketing, advertising. Like you get really good, right? Like those ads on the top and the side, like they're constantly updating them and optimizing them to get your attention because they know that your brain is very specifically trying not to notice that shit, right? That's your brain's primary job is to filter out information. So what we're trying to do in marketing, right, is figure out how do I break through that? So my, the most popular class that I teach is how to make people curse, right? And it's a basic escalation of attention, right? A, how do I make, how do I make people care? Because if you don't care, like I could, doesn't matter what I'm talking about, you're gone, you just left. 
then what I have to say is irrelevant, right? So outrageous or awestruck or something along those lines. How do I get you to care? What am I going to do that is going to get you to stop (laughs) barking dog, yelling person, whatever it is. And a lot of people, they sort of like try like a really rudimentary version of this, right? I'll have somebody out there with a spinning sign, like trying to get you to look. Oh, fuck. Okay. But then you immediately, you know, so Seth Godin wrote Purple Cow. He's like, if I saw, if I were driving down the road and I saw Purple Cow, I'm going to stop and get up, taking a picture. That's fucking crazy, right? If I can get you to care, then the question is, okay, but, but about what, right? So I've got to get you to understand. That's the goal, right? If I can get you to care and understand, now let's say that I get you to care. I got your attention and you understand that I'm now selling lollipops. You're like, don't give a fuck about lollipops. Expunge from a brain, moving on with my life, right? You're not going to remember it. You're not going to tell anybody because you don't give a shit, right? But what I want you to do is to care, to understand, to remember that information and to share it with somebody else, mm-hmm. right? And ideally, I want you to engage. I want you to be a customer, right? And so CURSE, in addition to being a fun acronym. Or, or at least find me another customer if you're not it. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's fine. If I can just get you to care, understand, remember, share, and engage, I win, right? Mm-hmm. But CURSE is a weird word, right? Like, so <laughs> CURSE is, sounds better. Um <laughs> Plus, they curse a lot, so it's, it's on brand for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really that simple. This is just a simple psychological progression of, of, of buy-in, right? Um, so when you're trying to take an idea that's whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm trying to get a lot of people's attention in a short amount of time. I mean, yeah, your willingness to do things that other people aren't willing to do is what it basically boils down to. I mean, you think about... Um, two people, we were talking about Hollywood earlier, right? So Jamie Kennedy and you know Johnny Knoxville. Mm-hmm. They basically said, I'm going to do whatever the fuck. I will be as obnoxious as I have to be to get people's attention. Worked out great for both of them. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of either one of those people, but I absolutely respect the fact that they looked around and said, what is everybody else? I mean, Will Ferrell, for me, is a perfect example. I do not like Will Ferrell. I don't find him funny at all. But man, am I impressed at what he's willing to do that most people would not do. So you just have to be willing to do more to get them to engage, whatever that is. Yeah. Something more That's not expensive. It takes courage. It doesn't take cash by and large. So how does a kind of stodgy older company, like a bank, let's say, with effectively a lot of controls in place, they're not allowed to say a lot of things, they're not going to make a lot of promises, you know, we can't guarantee better interest rates because we don't know or whatever. There's a lot of regulatory environments. You see this a lot in healthcare. How do these sort of more regulated or, in my industry, security, you have to be really careful about making claims. Like, you can't say we're going to stop all blah, 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 because, first of all, the second anything gets through, everyone's just going to go, ha, ha, and, <laughs> you know, and uh, it'll really, really destroy your brand. Uh, at least within the industry, outside the industry, whatever, no one would notice. But um, how do you how do you do that in that type of environment? Is that a culture thing? You just say we're going to have to power through this, or hire outside consultants that you can fire and say that they're they didn't do their job? Or so I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to segue and come back to it. Mm-hmm. The people who've answered this question, I believe, better than anybody in the world, is Dan and Chip Heath. They wrote a book called The Power of Moments. Easily one of the best books I've ever read hands down. And they talk specifically about banks and things banks could do, but don't, right? But hold that thought for just a second. The very first public talk that I ever gave was what makes marketing go viral. Mm-hmm. And I gave it during the Rise Conference for Entrepreneurs here in Austin. And if you know anything about the Rise Conference, Rise Conference used to be a little like South by Southwest. It was totally entrepreneur focused. 
and completely distributed. So we had different speakers all over the, all over the place for an entire week here in Austin. Now, in that week, there were two people that I really wanted to see. Like, I wanted to go hear them talk. They were both amazing. Tom Singer and Royce Spence. Right? And I find out that in my very first public talk that I'm ever slated to give, I'm booked at the exact same time as Tom Singer and Roy Spence. Tom Singer is now the new president of the Austin Technology Council. Roy Spence, one of the founders of GSD&M, a billion-dollar advertising agency. He literally created the slogan, Don't Mess With Texas. Right? And I'm like, fuck me. Like, not only is no, I'm not going to get to hear the people I want to hear, and I'm going to be in a room by myself 100%, because anybody with any brain in their head is going to go listen to one of those two people talk, because they're amazing. Right? I get there and the room is full and I'm like, oh, these people are, must be all just getting ready to leave. <laughs> right? Am I in the wrong room? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the speaker before me was Carl Settles, uh, founder of E4 Youth. And uh, Carl actually hung out and that's how we met. Um, and he stayed for the talk and um, more people kept coming in and kept coming in. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I think maybe all these people think that somebody else is about to talk. <laughs> and so I gave this talk on what makes marketing go viral. And I had in my research, right? Like, so I, this is all very new to me, but I'm fascinated by this topic. Like what makes this happen? And I found that the very first campaign that I could find that, that was a true viral hit is almost unknown. I'm, uh, it was, uh, what was the name of the bank? Um, Anyway, some bank. Capital Plains Bank, something like that, right? There's a song that we all know called We've Only Just Begun. Right. Right, by the Carpenters. Now, that was written as an ad jingle for a bank. The Carpenters covered it. It became one of the most popular songs in history. But it was actually run as a commercial for a bank and it, all it showed and it like bro broke all of these rules. The commercials are like people talk about this and like they didn't have any, there was no, there were no, nobody was talking in the commercial. It was just young people like running and frolicking and like getting married and driving over the, like in they're playing the song. We've only just begun. Right. Like, and then they, at the end they threw in this thing, like we know that you have a long way to go. And we want to help you get there. Something like that. It was so successful there was like a run on the bank. There's so many young people showing up to the bank being like, we're, you're giving out loans. Like somehow they interpret it as like, you're giving out loans for young. And they're like, whoa, 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 turn that <laughs> shit off. What the fuck is going on? <clears throat> it was a problem. I think Hal Reiner might've been the guy who wrote the, who wrote, uh, he was, at, was he at Ogilvy or, uh, anyway. Um, but the song got, because the song was such a hit because people were so enamored with the song the Carpenters covered it. Most people don't know this. Our Carpenters didn't write it in the more the original performers. And it went on to become like a wildly viral hit, right? This is long before we were talking about virality or this concept existed. Um, okay. So but the question you had was, what could a bank do? What could a stodgy old institution yeah. so, do? Somebody who's been around a long time age. and yeah. has, has a lot going against them, either internally or politically or whatever, makes marketing harder. Yeah. So without writing a hit song, right, which a lot of people are trying to do. Dan and Chip talked about simple things. Every single family goes through certain milestones, right? Like, I mean, 
Okay, not every single family, but like most of us, right? If you have kids, your kids get to a certain age where you want them to have a bank account, right? Like you get to a certain age, you know, part of your career where you want to re- like examine like savings accounts, things like this. He's like, they said there are so many things that banks could do. So many things that banks could do to actually demonstrate that they give a shit about you as a human being. Mm. That would be easy for the bank to do. Like, hey, listen, we know that like, you know, you have kids and you know, your kid just turned 13. And like, we have a special, like a, a financial seminar for kids. If you want to bring him in on Saturday, like, we're going to do have like a fun little get together. And then we're just going to like talk about savings and like how they can start building. Like if they start building now, like they could be financially set, right? Like most parents would bring their kids to that shit. Mm-hmm. Why don't banks do that? Right. I sent this to the president of a bank and I'm like, dude, like he's now the head of innovation for another bank. And like, and I like this guy a lot. And he's like, I, yeah. like I, banks just don't, they fundamentally don't think that way. And that was the most difficult thing I had to learn. My original thought was if I'm looking at Yelp, right? I'm looking at a restaurant. If they have two star reviews and I could get them to four or five mm-hmm. game changer. What I learned is a company that has a, a a restaurant that has two-star reviews, on average, they don't care. I'll never get them to four or five. They have two stars because they've already developed contempt for their customers. They've already decided that their customers are assholes and that they're being assholes and they're trying to ruin their lives by giving them bad reviews online. Like They all, they all but hate their customers. And it becomes self-perpetuating at that point, right? Like they just genuinely like every, customers are always annoying them. And people are like, these people are really rude to me. Yeah. Cause they hate you, right? <laughs> they hate your guts because somebody else gave a bad review. They think you're an asshole because you complained about the food, right? Like we've all watched restaurant nightmare. Like how many chefs are like, Oh, you're complaining about bad food. You obviously don't know shit about shit. Get the fuck out of my restaurant. Right? Like it's incredible. And so if you, you know, um, I think it was John Gottman, who's a, a social psychologist who talked about like being able to watch a couple for five minutes and tell you whether or not they were going to get divorced. And it all comes down to one very simple thing. If you see signs of contempt, and it doesn't matter what the relationship, it doesn't have to be a marriage. If there are signs of contempt, which is I decide that I'm better than you for any reason, it's over. Our relationship is doomed. There's almost no coming back for that, from that, right? And that's which brings me to a conversation I want to have with you. Um, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> awkward segue. Um, <laughs> just a second. So okay. the... This is the number one problem we have in all of society. I mean, you look at like polarization and politics, everything else, right? Contempt is that thing that means like if I disagree with you and I decide it's because you're not a good person, right? Like I'm a better person than you. Well, there's not really fixing that, is there? I'm just, you just suck and I don't. And I can't fix that, right? So I'm not even going to try. We're not going to have a conversation because fundamentally, like, and this is true of like, in, it, you, once you learn to recognize contempt, and there are there are like literal micro signs you can recognize in people's faces, which is what he became an expert at. But it's not that hard. Like we know what contempt looks like sure. by and large, right? Like we know it. It's sneering, looking down at your nose, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And and most all of us have had those moments with a significant other, somebody that we love. We're just like, oh, you fucking Right. And it's dangerous. We don't realize how dangerous it is when it leaks into any of our relationships, whether they be business relationships or personal relationships. So at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about the difference between B2B and B2C and there are different types of marketing. Yes and no. Bottom line, no business has ever bought anything from anybody ever. People buy things. Businesses don't. Right. So I've spoken to people like, well, my business is different. We're B2B. Really? 
Really? How many businesses have ever signed a document and decided to wire you money? They're like, nope. It's always a person. Yeah, it's a CFO. It's only a person. Yeah, yeah. And I actually violently agree because one of the things I've, I find that's wrong with like me being a CTO, but also having being a CISO in the past and various other uh, executives and CEO. Um, very, I, my mailbox is just destroyed. Like there's just, it's no, it's, I've declared bankruptcy. Yeah. I just, I can't get through it. And people are like, I emailed you today. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I you believe know, you. <laughs> I don't even know what email address you're talking about. Uh, you know, like it's just, it's just a mess. Um, so, but when I meet somebody and we have a conversation like this or whatever, I actually, I will hold on to all of that. That, that is really in my brain and I will recollect it six months down the road, you know, a year down the road. And I'll go, you know what? Elijah said something this one time and blah, blah, blah. Hold on. Let me go get you his contact information. And now this has become a real thing. Even if I'm not buying from you, I know somebody who would. And I become a bit of a super connector just by virtue of paying attention, paying attention and, and knowing people who are doing something interesting, whatever. I don't, it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be wealthy. They're just doing something interesting, whatever it is. You could be a painter, you could be a sculptor, whatever, just something that you care about. Um, and if it's interesting and you, you're better at it than everybody else and you really care about your craft, I'm going to pay attention. I think that's interesting. Um, excuse me. <laughs> the whiskey may not have been the best idea. Okay, <laughs> so you know, one of the things that a conversation like this affords us to do is to, is to carve out significant attention for that for that conversational optimization. So that conversational SEO, when you're talking to somebody else, right? Like we, we, our society, human beings communicated by stories for eons before we discovered writing, right? Like as Simon Sinek says, it's not psychology, it's biology. It is wired into us to take stories, catalog them, save them, because there was a time when it was the only way to get the life-saving information you needed to get. Right, these tales that were passed down for generation after generation after generation. The if you couldn't remember that shit, to, yeah, it was yeah. told in song or in stories oh, or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we're still wired for that. Like, I mean, there's like we talk about cortisol and like you know in the in the office, you know, we get stressed out. Like, your brain doesn't know the difference between like you know there's a deadline looming that's stupid and a lion might eat me. It just knows that like. Shit's fucking stressful, yeah, right? Like, yeah. there's a reason why people break down over stuff that doesn't really necessarily warrant that kind of reaction because that's just where we were running around throwing rocks and shit like 100 years ago. Like, it's not that <laughs> long ago, right? And now we have spaceships. We aren't wired for this. We have no fucking idea what we're doing, right? We're just like, is, there, is that a line? No, it's not. Okay, just my boss. Um, mm-hmm. Focus my point. All right, so... Uh, Totally lost the plot. Well, there. you you wanted to talk about something. What I did, I did. Okay, okay. We can all right. Skip to that. So I have a, a very close friend. His name is Don Tracy, and 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 he's a um, he's a very active member of the Republican Party here in the state of Texas. Okay, uh, he was a council member in Cedar Park where I live, and but he's on like every single economic development board. He works at ACC. And he he runs a continuing education. We have had we have a lot of conversations. We talk about things like so. He's working right now on education and in, in, in prisons, right? And about why people are so reluctant to give people who've been to prison. Right? The idea is you go to prison, you pay your dues, you get out, and you contribute, right? 
People are so reluctant to give people that, that is an idea. It's <laughs> an idea, right? It's a great idea. They're so reluctant to give these people opportunities. Totally. Right? And they're going in and doing work that's now been praised, you know, all the way to the highest levels of the state. Like, oh my God, like you, you've done and like you've created this transformational education. Now, I don't even want to get into how broken the systems are. Never mind that for, for right now. The conversations that Don and I have around like race and, and socioeconomic status. And, in, you know, we, I think Don is certainly one of those people who would tell you that, you know, he was raised to be colorblind. It's like, I care what race you are. And he's like, he's like, I didn't even know you were black. He's like, is, are, you, are you black? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, okay, I don't care, right? Great. Like, there's this thing that happens when Don and I have conversations about things we do not agree on. I believe... And he believes that both of us are acting in good faith, mm-hmm. right? Like this, this fundamental concept, like this is what's lost in our political discourse, right? Is this belief that the other party is acting in good faith. Like we tend to find ourselves believing that the other person, the, the other, it isn't just parties. It's like the other is acting from some nefarious, dark, fucked up place, right? I'm acting in good faith. I'm just trying to make things better. You're being a dick, right? Mm-hmm. This is basically where we get to. Again, contempt. Okay. So I was, per your recommendation, I was watching your your episode with John. John Robinson. Yeah. Yes. And I was so tempted to text you and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like losing my mind. I'm like, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to hold on to this, right? And, it's it's uh, polarizing. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there. I'm like, I'm, like, oh, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. All right. So but I wanted to pick one very specific thing because sure. I think it's really interesting. And I, mean, okay, I should have. Told Chris I want a computer. Um, okay. Maybe Chris can look it up. <laughs> I think, and I'm not positive. I meant to double check today. Sure. I think that you guys said that Biden has had the lowest approval ratings in history for um, a U.S. president. I don't think. I don't think I said that. Maybe John said that. Okay. Um, and and that was a poll that had been done. I know what poll he was referring to. Um. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe I did mention it. Um, it was something like 38%, which is very, very low for this time of year. Uh, uh, usually at this point, presidents start kind of ticking up going into the midterms because they're they're going out. So it was it was surprisingly low. Yeah. That I can believe. Yeah. That's actually not that hard to believe. Like, yeah. But so my thought was, wait a minute, that can't be. So what I thought I heard mm-hmm. was that he had the lowest approval rating in the history of the U.S. president. I'm like, I there's no way don't think that Biden's true. having lower approval ratings than Trump had at his nadir, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I wanted to know. So sure. I went and looked it up, and it, based on Gallup, which I don't know if Gallup is the source of truth or not, but sure. it's something we generally accept to be true. Sure. So Gallup says that, no, Trump's lowest lows were lower than Biden's lowest lows. Sure. But I remember you talking about like the idea behind the show being like, what is real? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we talk? What's the real shit? Sure. Right. And I'm like, this is one of those things where like, I know that you are not just educated as a gross understatement when it comes to access to information, particularly on the internet. Sure. Right. So I'm like, does Robert have access to information I don't have access to? Like, this is something that, they said with great confidence, and we all have conversations where you just kind of like, especially when you have a guest, you don't necessarily disagree with. I'm sure I've said stupid shit, and you're like, okay, whatever. But like, I try, I try to. I mean, obviously, 
if someone's going to talk about aliens or something, I have a bit of a more difficult time like placating them and I kind of let them go, which I shouldn't do. Actually, I should say, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> what is your evidence for aliens exactly? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do try to get in front of it when I see somebody doing something that's like, it's just when you were talking about the SEO thing, for instance, like if I think you're saying something that's, true but not the whole story i'll try to i'll try to bring that up and i appreciate that profoundly which is why i wanted to have this conversation sure yeah i want it because i something that i thought i heard and i double checked and i'm like i'm pretty sure they both said this and they were both very certain about it and like this is based on everything i can find not true Mm -hmm. and so i wanted to understand like i'll see if i can find that poll again um i I do know i think he's the one who brought that up and i I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, and I think it was, if memory serves, was the lowest at, but it was a very specific point in time and it's a very specific poll, not Gallup. It was something else. Um, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it was surprisingly low for this time of year. Mm-hmm. And when he should be sort of at his kind of going upwards, not going downwards. Gotcha. That makes sense. And, and, that, and the reason for it, Actually, the, the important part of the conversation wasn't the, the number. Actually, I didn't think that was the important part. The important part of that conversation was the reason why the uh, pollsters believed that it was happening was uh, the younger generation is most directly affected, who are more likely to vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why it was surprisingly low. They are being disproportionately affected by uh, inflation right now. And and rising healthcare costs and lower access to jobs because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of conflating issues, uh, higher gas prices, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so they are disproportionately disaffected at the moment. And that's gotcha. surprising for this time of year. And so that's where that was coming from. Okay. Yeah. It. And poll could have been wrong as well. So, well, I mean, it, it, it goes to, so keep in mind, I don't, right? I don't have a ton of faith in polls, so <laughs> I'm almost zero. I think that I remember listening to an, an Arbitron executive talking about, you know, so when you buy radios, when you buy radio, as I did at one point, um, they talk about market share, you know, the share and, um, they, they, everybody makes up their own nomenclature, right? So like a five share sure. shares, 5% of the market, right? Sure. At any given time or whatever. Um, and I remember somebody asking this this vice president at our, our, our Arbitron, Arbitron. Um, hey, uh, they said, what's your what's your margin of error? And they said, oh. Um, Scantron, is that what you're talking about? Like the the bubbles that you? No, so uh, the, I think it's uh, Arbitron. Is, was the, Arbitron is the, when you sell radio, it's like, you know what Nielsen ratings are? Okay, I see. That for radio. Got it, got it. And so at a conference at Intertech in Austin at the convention center, somebody asked this executive, they said, what's your, what's your margin of error? I said, oh, plus or minus three points. Now, if I'm selling you that you should buy this because it has a five share and that's as high as it goes, a 5% share is as high as it goes. And you sit up and tell me that your margin of error is plus or minus three. What you're basically saying is. This data is worthless. worthless. (laughs) Worthless. <laughs> Absolutely worthless, which is exactly what I found buying radio. Yeah. And, Absolutely worthless. And, and and part of the problem is a lot of these pollsters, they don't, they talk to people who are going to talk to them. And so if you call up and you're Fox News doing this interview and you don't like Fox News, you're going to hang up. If you're, hey, this is CBS News, 
can we ask you some questions? And you don't like CBS News. Uh, or just generally, a lot of people are working and they're like, I don't have time to talk to a pollster. No, and like, so yeah. you're going to miss out on a huge segment of the population or, you know, people are, you know, picking their kids up from school or whatever. They got things to do. And so you're going to get <laughs> this very narrow group of people who are going to answer the phone at that time of day from a strange phone number interact with this stranger on the phone that they know is a stranger and start answering questions. That's a very, don't have something better. This is a very specific group of people. So I I generally don't look at polls seriously. It's more like if there's anything in the poll that might lead to what it's more interesting when the poll itself has changes. Like we've done this poll year after year and this year it seems different than every other year. That's more interesting because these are the same weird people. Yeah. Who answers oh, the, <laughs> these weirdos right yeah. here have yeah. all changed their mind. Right. No, right, I right. agree with you. And I think that like, there's so many things that we take for granted. We take as truths. Now, part of it is, again, I started my career in, in PR and specifically in Hollywood and like manipulating language a lot. Right. Like, and I realized that, and that's what I found is that I was just lying constantly. And if you, one of my favorite expressions how, is, how do you, how do you feel when you were doing that? How I does was, lying feel? I was so good at it. <laughs> I was so good at it. Right. I mean, I really, I thought hard about going and becoming a Hollywood agent. Right. Like, do you ever remember that movie phone booth with Colin Farrell? Yeah. Right. Where like someone's like basically traps in phone booth and we're going to shoot you. Like, and he's like negotiating this deal. Like one, he's got like the producer on one side and he's got the talent on the other side. And he's like, and like, he gets them both locked in the same time. And like, and you're supposed to be like, this guy's a despicable asshole. And I'm like, I fucking love this guy. Right? <laughs> like, I'm like, I want to be that guy. Like I fucking, like I thought hard. There was definitely, like, I remember watching, you know, entourage, like a lot of people, you know, you love Ari's character, but I was like, I could have fucking been that guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and I realized that's why I left. I didn't leave because I, because I couldn't do it. I left because I could do it. I left because I'm like, I could totally be that fucking guy, right? Um, I had the connections. I was good at, like, opening doors. Yeah, but how did it make you feel to do that? I mean, like... I was proud of it. You liked it? I was super good at it. And in hindsight? I just didn't... And and John says something very similar. You just had that moment where you're like, fuck, I don't want to be this person this is not everybody the, goes through that catharsis eventually. I mean, it might take them a lot longer than other people, but you can't be that way forever without some serious intro, introspection yeah. and lying to yourself. I mean, I was in high school. I lived in a cabin in the woods with no running water. And then because it was such a difficult home life, I moved out at like 16. I was living on my own. You know, I get accept, accepted to this university and four years later, I'm the liaison between USC and Hollywood. Like, what the fuck? That makes no sense. And so it it went, you know, like this, you think about the hero's journey, right? Like you think about like Star Wars, like Luke Skywalker is like this orphan on a planet and he finds out he's somebody special. It was kind of like that for me. I'm like, I'm fucking somebody special. Look at me. Look at the shit I get to do. Like somebody saw what a genius I am or like how talented I am or whatever. Like it played into all of the things that every one of us wants to believe about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Is that I'm special. It just, just someone had to recognize it. Right. And, and I'll, I, I've had this conversation with my old boss about why the fuck she picked me out of the blue and offered me this job. And I found out there were hundreds of applicants for that job. Oh, wow. But it, <clears throat> But they didn't have the EQ. I don't, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe, part maybe, of it was... Maybe it's because you weren't part of Hollywood yet. Yeah, I mean, you it was hadn't. growing up on a farm, and, like, if you've stepped in between, you know, 
two bulls who are trying to fight, you know, uh, two directors who are trying to fight. It's nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in Hollywood, everybody wants nothing to do with that that power clash. But for me, I'm like, oh, fuck you. Go stand over there. <laughs> right? Like, And then you tell this guy what he wants to hear. You tell this guy who wants to hear. Everybody's fine. They all go home, right? And then everybody was going to sue. Now they're not going to sue. They're like, who did this? That guy did it, right? So right place, right time, sort of a lack of reverence for the things you're supposed to revere in Hollywood. And that's, that's kind of what it all boiled down to. Um, and, and that has kind of carried over with me. And I've learned now in like, you know, meeting like rich and powerful CEOs. I mean, the most, you know, probably going to tell them to go fuck themselves in the first five minutes. Right. If I have any reason to whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. So back to marketing. Yeah. So that is marketing, by the way. I know, I know, but back to you, internet marketing. Uh, so, you are good at experiences, and we haven't really talked about that very much. Um, I wanted to, you mentioned a, a while back a story about Sony uh, and their experience. Would you would you regale us with that little story? Shit, which one was Sony? Uh, they brought in some some big machine downtown into South by Southwest or something. Am I misremembering this story? I'm misremembering this story. So anything about the machine? Uh, well, yeah, it was parked on the sidewalk, and you. Had oh yeah, no, that was Sony. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're making me feel like I'm over here. At, oh man, yeah. you're killing me. You're killing me. Josh, Josh, uh, is the best. please okay. stop drinking whiskey, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't help. No, it's the uh, it's the the slowest of the species theory. You know that one, right? Mm, no. Yeah. Right. So they say, um, in, in in the in the wild, a, a pack. A pack of animals thrives when the, the predators come and kill the weakest ones, right? Mm-hmm. What, what does alcohol do? Kills off brain cells. It's going to kill off the slow ones, right? I see, I see. You get smarter. <laughs> Everybody knows this is basic science. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, I was working on Reddit Twitch with AA Labs. And uh, so, Amber brought me in as creative director on that, on that project. Now, I didn't get to do a lot of creative stuff because you've got two big brands. And they have brand teams. and They're going to make all the brand decisions. So, I'm kind of a glorified coordinator right um but we get told uh that we're sony is delivering this experience they're sending it in a box we just have to find a place for it and it's fine i got a three-story building we're working with i'm on the second third floor i got a big bar it's called rio and and like we're gonna put this 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 box from sony we'll probably put it near the bar on the second floor all right so i'm waiting and waiting and they're running late it's like 1 a.m when this box gets there this box shows up on the back of a semi. It's it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's like 8,000 pounds, right? Like, there's no, they offload it, and they're like, okay, bye. I'm like, wait, what? Like, I, like, I can't even if I want it. It's not going in the building. Like, we're, like, seriously debating. Remember I told you earlier, like, are we going to sort of blow out the wall and get a crane in here? Like, no. There's no way this thing's not going up any stairs, even if we tried to kill people, which we decided not to do. Um, it's not going in that building or on that building or around that building. If we put it on the top, it's coming down. Right? There's So we just kind of found a spot. Um, there's, you know, there's a sidewalk and then there's gravel and then there's a road. So we just kind of found a spot. Like, it's on the gravel. It's not blocking the sidewalk. It's not blocking the road. Looks safe to me. <laughs> and we find the spot. We put this box there and, uh, you know, code code compliance. And they are very serious. Yeah, of course. And they come by and they're like, that's, that's not on your plan. Like, that's true. 
that's true. That box is not on my plan. That's not the box I was expecting, and I did not plan for this box. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, um, I can't put it in the alley because it's going to block the alley. I can't put it on the sidewalk because it's going to block the sidewalk. I can't put it in the road because you know, I can't. Um, this is kind of my best option. And they're like, oh, no. I'm like, what am I going to do? Right? So they go call people. They call people. They call people. We have the entire. I hope the city of Austin probably doesn't watch your show. I, maybe. Yet. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> the entire code compliance department for the city of Austin comes out. And they stand around for like a good 30 minutes and they talk and they point and they talk and they point. And I'm like doing that thing where like I'm hanging to hang close enough that if they need me, I'm involved, but it doesn't look, I'm not like trying to like be in their business. I'm just sort of like loitering like right here. <laughs> like, no, no. Okay. So finally, after all of this conversation and pointing and talking and talking and pointing and pointing and talking, they come over and they say, I think it's going to have to stay where it is. Like, oh no. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, this one's like where you can't, like, like, gloating is not an option. Like, the only thing you can possibly express is, like, oh, thank God you solved it. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you guys are here because I didn't know what to do. So, it's exactly what I did, right? Like, I went right back into Hollywood mode. Like, I had no idea. I was totally, like, down here just in a blurry breeze, like, trying not to die. And you saved my life. Thank you so much, right? And they're like, yo, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. They say, if you need anything else, just call us. I'm like, I promise I will. Like, uh, you guys are absolute <laughs> lifesavers. <laughs> they're like, no, no, it's totally fine, it's totally fine. It's, it happens to South by, it's South by, right? Like, yeah. all of these, like, you know, you're in trouble, all this stuff went out the window. It's South by, it's fine, right? <laughs> so, so, you don't call me on this. So, because um, we're an official activation, and I'm like, I'm so screwed. Um, so, there's this giant black box, and it's, it's, in and of itself, just sitting there, you're like, it's it's an eye-catching thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so what happens, so they had just come out with a movie called Life. Ryan Reynolds is in this movie. It's about they discover life on Mars, and they're experimenting on it in the ship as they're traveling back to Earth, and shit goes sideways, right? They're poking it with a thing, and um, and they basically wake it, wake it up, and it grabs the scientist who's poking it. It grabs his hand and crushes his hand, right? So what happens is you go into the box, they close the door behind you, and you put your hands into these two rubber gloves and you watch this scene in the movie where he's prodding it with like a little tiny cattle prod and then it grabs his hand and it starts to squeeze his hand and it crushes his hand in the trailer, right? And your brain is like, your hand is being crushed. So it's, they're, I mean, it's actually really cleverly designed. They're using the backlight from the trailer to film your face. Mm. And so while the person's hand is being crushed in this short clip, they're filming your face, like freaking the fuck out, and then like as you you come out of there, like you pull your hands out, you're checking your hand to make sure that you still have one, and um, and you go around to the side and you can enter your email address and you can email or your or tw- or tweet your your clip to yourself, mm-hmm. and um, and we know that so they're having the premiere of this movie, at, I think the Paramount like. Two days later, they have to. We have it for a couple days, and then they're taking this box over to the Paramount. Not my problem, right? Like I just have to make sure that the box doesn't get destroyed for the next couple of days that it lives here next to the sidewalk. And um, so there's this. You've worked with events. You know what a brand ambassador is. Or you got people who show up. They put on a Sony T-shirt, and then they you ask them basic questions, and then they pretend to know what's going on. Right? This is a standard 
operating procedure for events. You hire some locals who pretend to talk about your thing and pretend to be an expert. And make sure they get the contact information. Right. And get Scan your badge. Well, that's the beautiful thing about this is you go and you email it to yourself because you're like, it's fucking it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Your reaction is funny as shit. Yeah. So it worked brilliantly. Um, we got this guy who's like this. He's pretty old for a brand ambassador. But, you know, he really is like he's answering all the questions. This guy's so engaging. I'm like, man, I got to hire this guy. He's so good at talking about this thing and explaining, like, you know, why it works and how it works. And so uh, finally, I'm just like, hey, man, like, you're really good at this. What do you do? He's like, this is kind of my pet project. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Oh, you work at Sony? He's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I do. I work at Sony. I'm like, what do you, what do you do? Like, is this like, you're like, there's an experiential division of marketing? He's like, I'm the vice president. I'm like, oh, you're the vice president of Sony. You just, you just really wanted, yeah, it's just a pet project. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, well, somebody from the, from AA came out and they're just, you know, like checking on everything. And they're like, hey, we just want to make sure Sony's happy. And it became a running joke between me and Josh. He was like, Sony's happy. <laughs> he later got, he got a big promotion. So, um, yeah, it was, it was. All right. So what about a bad marketing thing you've seen at South by? I mean, okay. All so right. experiential stuff is great. Instagram, you know, a bull moments or whatever are great. What, what are some bad ones? I or, tell or, a story or, or with, one bad without one. any names. Sure. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep it simple. Sure. Um, we worked for, there are several companies out there working on flying taxis, right? Mm-hmm. Flying taxi being a, a human-sized drone. You get in, it takes you wherever you're trying to go. And so we were working on an activation. This is something that's, that, that Uber and others are working on right now that they want to launch in the U.S. And we have some folks specifically working on doing testing in Texas. Because we're like, fuck regulation. <laughs> Let's do this <laughs> thing, right? It is uh, Texas. Yeah, it's Texas, right? You still got to deal with the FAA, but you're get, you're going to get away with more shit in Texas than elsewhere. So um, we're talking to somebody. They have this thing. It's a prototype that might or might not come. And and so we're, I'm like, if I could listen, if I can put a single person in a flying taxi and fly them from the ground to the top of a building, if I, anything at all, I win. I fucking win South by. Like, if I could just put somebody in a drone big enough to fly a person around, like, I... And then when I find out I can't do that, like if they have a prototype, it might not work. I'm like, all right, what are all the ways I can? F- <laughs> it might kill them. Yeah. What are, and they're like, the FAA want to prove it below, above five feet. I'm like, I'll take five feet. Right? Like, they're, like, they're not letting me have a drone. I'm not putting a person in it. So I'm like, what are all the ways I can fake it? And I could fake the shit out of it. Like, well, can it look like a drone? Like, can I, like I can make it go up and down. Like, I'm going to, like, I can engineer the shit out of this thing. We're already talking to APD. Like, they've got a helicopter pilot who's like, this is cool. I mean, let's figure it out. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> And ultimately, after weeks of like, I mean, like this is one of those where like I'm just so excited to work on it that I've now dumped my my own money in. Like they haven't really technically hired us, but they were referred by South by to us. I'm like, yeah, this is a good one, right? Like the, we're doing this, and I've spent all this time. They they were working with a a, a third party, a, a PR firm, and the, and they like me. They don't like the PR firm. They called me and asked if they can just cut the PR firm out and just work with me. I'm like, uh, no, I can't, I can't do that. But like, mm-hmm. so this is one of the things that I, I, of all the possibilities of all the things we've talked about doing at South by, this is one of the most exciting, even if I don't get the actual drone, like just the process of designing the experience and making it feel real for people. Um, so here's what I wanted to do when I can't get a real drone. Did I tell you about this with the TVs? No. Okay. 
So there's a uh, a prank that they did. It was a, a YouTube hit, right? Where they put four TVs. I think they were I think they were LG. Forgive me if it was a different brand. On the floor of an elevator, and then people get in the elevator, and it starts to go up, and it, the floor falls out from under them, and it looks so real. They freak out. People like try to climb the walls. They're crying. <laughs> That's a pretty fucked up prank, right? But like, it's very very convincing. And you see people like like weeping. They realize they're not gonna die, right? That's dead puppy marketing, right? Okay, yeah. so. <clears throat> I'm like, I could, there's a good version of this, right? So I can get a drone and I can launch from any building. I can pick six buildings in Austin and I can have you have a tablet where you pick a destination and I can show you the POV of lifting off the top of the building, flying over to UT and landing on top of a building and showing you that it takes seconds to get from south of Congress to the heart of UT, to the stadium, right? Like, and I can get the footage. This is easy, right? And I'm going to use these TVs as you're going to step into a booth and it's going to look like the, the, the floor, the roof, like it'll, the, the floor will look like the roof of the building and then it'll fly out from under you. Like you, and we'll blow a fan on you. So it'll trick your brain. You're like, Oh shit, I'm fucking like, you hold on the railings. And like you're like, I'm fucking flying. Right. And you're going to see the actual experience. Like this is what it would look like. This is what it would feel like so that your brain won't know the difference. Right. Totally doable. Like we've solved this. And no one gets in a real drone. No one's going to die. It's right. going to be cool as shit. We'll do it on an actual building. Deep, deep copper. Uh, yeah, he's like, I'm so... fucking in. Yeah. <laughs> Super interesting. There's going to be a line of people waiting to get in this booth and take this experience. <laughs> and they come back to me and they said, hey, we have a different idea. And I went, hmm, I really like this idea. What you got? They said, here's what we're thinking. We're going to get some people to dress up as skycaps. Skycaps, like yeah, like at the airport, right? The people who take your bags when you pull up on the curb, and I'm like, okay. And they said they're gonna hand out flyers that say, "Do you want to ride in a flying taxi?" Okay. Let me see. We can we can add that on. That works. And then the flyer is gonna tell you to go to our panel session. Uh where there's going to be people talking about what it will be like when we have flying cars. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Seriously? They're like, yeah, no, but like, you don't think it'll work. And I'm like, a no B what, what are you talking about? Like, this is like a big shot agency. It's so disappointing. Like, and this is like, I mean, a, a big advertising creative agency. Like I'll never, I'm, I used to be surprised to hear some of the stupid shit. So you're just going to bait and switch people like, and think that maybe they'll be dumb enough to be like, oh, maybe if I go to this ballroom at 3 o'clock on Tuesday, there's then I'll maybe get to fly in a flying taxi. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, so that was it. So wow. spent months of That's planning, and then, uh, and then they decided to do that, and I said, you're on your own. Good luck with that one. Mm-hmm. And then later South by said, Hey, what happened? Nobody ever showed up at the panel. I'm like, get the fuck out. <laughs> I went as I was at eBay at, and uh, we were expanding into different regions. And so um, there's local versions of eBay all over the place. Like market plots is, uh, is the German version, for instance, um, like a co-branded version of eBay. Mm-hmm. And they decided they were going into the uh, Asian region and they should have an Asian-sounding name. So they 
started typing in Asian sounding names uh, and they landed on Kijiji.com. And so they went ahead and built this huge thing out, had this enormous marketing press release, you know, this huge launch with all these banners everywhere and ticker tape and the whole thing. And it's translated as sort of like underoos. So <laughs> everyone in the region was sort of like, the brand is underoos, you know, or like little boys underwear, you know, like, like what? You know, like it's a very specific, weird thing to call something. This you know, is really, yeah, yeah. This, this, this. This actually, is a choice. This is their. They landed on Kijiji, and uh, a similar thing I, I thought I was very I interesting. <laughs> I mean, not that way. A similar one was uh, the Honda Fit. Um, they rebranded it for the Swedish market again without paying attention to it, and it was the Honda Fita, and Fita. They didn't bother to look that one up or ask any locals or whatever. And they just did this massive marketing launch and the whole thing. And it sort of means a slang version of a lady's nether regions. Um, and of course, you know, they found that out the hard way. And everyone's like, why did you name, <laughs> why did you name it this very offensive, you know, slang word? And, uh, what do you say when you see stuff like that? Like, like to me, whenever you're translating stuff into other languages, you gotta have somebody on the other side of the, you gotta have someone who's translating everything you're saying over into the native tongue. Yeah. I mean, Not localization, the other way. Oh Not my the other God. Way because a lot of people, what they'll do is like, well, I have a nephew and he speaks Chinese. It's like, no, 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 no. Did he, is he in China or does he, did he go to school for a couple of years and he can kind of read some Mandarin or something? Bingo. Because that is not the same thing. You know, again, I'm going to go back to what I said before and, and because I, I cannot overemphasize it, which is the bar is so low. I've sat in rooms <laughs> where we're going around the table and they're like, okay, you have an idea. You have an idea. You have an idea. Like, okay, we've got four ideas. Like, okay, first of all, uh, these two people have literally no experience. Now, I'm down with the idea. Sometimes the person with the least amount of experience might have the best idea. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. Very rarely. <laughs> but if I can demonstrably point out that what they just said is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. And you're like, okay, we got four ideas. Like, no, nope, no, we don't. We don't have four ideas. Yeah, this, we, always, this always drives me crazy. People are like, yeah. there's no such thing as a bad idea. <sighs> oh, my God. There are tons of them. Just go on social media. Well, Spend I, 10 minutes on social media. You're going to see tons of I bad ideas. I get that it's like a brainstorming tactic. There are no bad ideas. Well, no. okay, but then like, no. but we're- There are. There's but, lots of them. But the caveat to that is that like, that's just a, that's a step. And the next step is weed out the bad ideas, right? Like, so anytime that like you're going around the room and people are like, okay, like you have an idea and you have an idea and you have an idea. I mean, this is like, if you and I went and sat down with a client and you're like, I think that if you're concerned about your cybersecurity, you should do X, Y, and Z. And I went, well, I think- Here's what I think. Call me crazy. I think. <laughs> I think you should buy cybersecuritizer.com, right? And then what we're going to do is uh, we're going to make it super secure and then uh, uh, we'll make a commercial. And they're like, and I've, I'm not so, even exact. I'm telling you, I've had, I've, I've heard people, so clients be like, I'll, I'll tell you what actually idea. happens. I'll tell you what actually happens. This, and this, this uh, brilliant marketing technique appears on my desk about once a year, I'd say. Uh, it's like, why don't we just hack into all of the potential clients 
and then like show them how vulnerable they are. And then they'll just definitely buy all of our stuff. I'm like, yeah, you just described how to <laughs> go to jail very quickly. <laughs> there is such a bad, such a thing as a bad idea. And you just described it. Oh, I, I talked to a guy who he had an IT company and he, his, his plan was to drive around neighborhoods and find people's, you know, find access points and then walk up and be like, I just hacked into your system. You should hire me. I'm like, no, you're going to get shot. Yeah. <laughs> this is Texas. Yeah. You're getting shot for sure. <laughs> you're getting shot on principle. I'm not even sure you won't deserve it. Like, you, what the fuck are you talking about? And he was so, he's like, you don't think I should do it? I'm like, no. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my God. So, but okay. the problem is when the person evaluating the idea has no useful, practical lens for evaluating ideas, they're like, oh, well, I like your idea. Like, your thing sounded cool. Like that's not the, that should never be the criteria for making a big business decision, and it usually is the criteria. It is shockingly often the criteria. So Gillette had a campaign. It was the best a man can be, approximately, as opposed to the best the man can get, which was their traditional marketing campaigns. And it was voted uh, one of the worst videos on YouTube, uh, which is not necessarily meaningful. It's just, it's just one of the stats. Um, and got a lot of, uh, negative fanfare amongst the community. It actually was, I think one of the genesis of the, uh, get woke, go broke, um, um, slogans that was used very heavily on the right. But if you go and actually look at the stock price and over that time period, you can't even tell where that happened. It does not, there's no change whatsoever. It's just a slow, Procter & Gamble just can steady uptick just over that entire period. So to me, that strikes me as being one of those campaigns that is an outrage campaign. That whether they intentionally did it or didn't intentionally do it, um, I have certainly heard enough marketing people in the backroom talk and how these things actually go down. It's like, this would be great. We'll get all the men to be really, really, really pissed off, and it doesn't matter because the women are the ones who buy this anyway. Is that a? Am I? I mean, I realize you can't comment on that specific campaign per se, but is that a? Is that a thing that happens regularly? Let me talk about Chick Fil A for a minute. <laughs> uh, somebody comes out and you know says like Chick Fil A, we don't believe in gay marriage, and people are. They're like freaking out, right? We've got protests. People are like, fuck Chick-fil-A. I'm never eating Chick-fil-A again. Like, you know, like, you know, I've got gay friends who are like, this is terrible. This is a horrible brand. And then a vice president of Chick-fil-A, if I remember correctly, comes out and doubles down and says, well, it's true. We don't support that. Right? And people are like extra, extra pissed, extra like this is absolute bullshit. Do you know what happened to their sales? Right. Skyrocketed. Roy Spence talked about briefly earlier, wrote a book it came out around the same time as Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And it's not what you sell, it's what you stand for. And and I'll say this, and this is like, I mean, this is actually, we should probably could spend more time on this because this is fun shit. I don't have to agree with you to believe that you have the right to stand for whatever the fuck you want to stand for. Mm-hmm. Right? Um and, and, and I don't know, this is what bothers me. Like, so I, I, I say without joking, the first time I think I said it, I was joking. Now I'm, I'm not. I'm a libertarian socialist, right? Okay. And this is an actual thing. I believe you should have the freedom to do whatever you want. You don't have the freedom from the consequences. You make a bad decision, that's on your ass. Bottom line. I think sure. that um, 
how society ought to behave is that we all look out for each other. We all take care of each other. Everybody has basic needs covered. And then beyond that, whatever you do or don't do with your life, good for you, right? That is more or less how the United States is functioning currently. Is it? It's close. I mean, the government's close. The government is supposed to be out of the way as much as possible. And yes, we do have social safety nets that take care of people. We have shitty social safety nets. I'm not saying they're good. The justice system is broke as fuck. Our education system is a joke. I'm not Uh, saying that it's idyllic. I'm just saying that it that seems to be close to what its current operating mode is. So I would take it. It wasn't. There wasn't really the point. I would. I would say that. You know, for me, I think that I think everyone's basic needs should be covered because we can as a species, not because it's like a moral imperative, because we fucking can. Right. Everyone should have food. Everyone should have shelter. Everyone should have uh, access to education. And then what you do with it is what you do with it. That's it. I just think everybody starts at the starting line. Fucking go. Some people are faster. Some people are have more grit. Whatever the fuck. I don't care that everyone should have a fucking chance. To me, that's the basic fundamental premise to me that's the american dream never mind that for one second right so chick-fil-a says we don't support gay marriage and uh and then a, a vp comes out like you know they're getting yelled at and usually this is where brands capitulate and back off and be like it was just one person's opinion everybody settle down and he's like well that's what we that's what we think and then like people who were on board with that went absolutely ape shit and started eating chicken nuggets like they were going out of style and and I'm like, that's not what my family believes. We're like, and my wife and kids fucking love Chick-fil-A. I hated them before. And I still hate them. <laughs> but like, but I, I respect the fact that like, I mean, I really do struggle with, right? Like if you don't want to make a wedding cake for a gay couple, should you have to? The libertarian in me goes fucking no. If you don't want to make a cake for black people, should you have to? Libertarian in me says no. It's your fucking cake. It's your fucking shop. Sell it to whoever you want to. I understand that that's problematic. Like, but I really feel like there's something. There's something we know that there's something very powerful about a company being like, this is what we're fucking about. This is this is our thing. Like, this is where we're at. This is what we believe in. This is what we don't believe in. Like when you've done, they've done studies on like values. <laughs> don't you have a people who have done studies? Don't trust me. There's a study. There's, they've done studies. There's definitely studies out there. At least so. Yeah. Um, don't bother looking up the study. So they've done studies. They have. Yeah, they, they, they did the studies. And um, turns out that there, so when you look at the values, there's actually only a couple of things that are really important when it comes to establishing your company's values. Do you know like what the most important values your company can have are? Honesty. Integrity. I don't know. You tell me. It's two things. One, it's the ones that are real. Right. If you say, I mean, honesty is a really interesting one. Honesty is fascinating. If you, I guarantee you, go go pick a school. Go pick any school. Look up their values. One of their values is going to be honesty. Right. Gunman kicks down the door and says, are you hiding any students in here? Negative. Of course not. What are you talking about? What kids? You don't even have. You're in the wrong. We all know the right answer is a fucking lie, right? Like you lie, like your life literally depends on it. Because, like, so when you say things like, uh, first of all, we all we never ever ever rank value our, we never rank our values, and that's critical. Like, 
what's the most important thing? What do we believe? What is the most important thing? Like, so if you're a school protecting these children, job number one, right? Mm-hmm. Educate them. Job number two, right? So like, yeah, honestly, you might be on that list, but let's not get confused about where it falls on that list. Like this is really critical stuff that nobody fucking talks about and I don't understand it, right? And it's true of companies as well. So I went and I met with like one of the most successful car dealerships and like they are like number one in their category in the entire world. And I said, what are your values? And we wrote down all the shit. Honesty. Great. But okay. Great. <laughs> Okay. I can see what you think of honesty. (laughs) Okay. You are a marketer after all. So if I tell you right now that I value time with my children, how would I prove that to you? Spending time with your children versus what? Doing this or other things, I suppose. Any other things. Yeah. If I tell you that I value something, then the only way to make that true is to be willing to give up something for that thing. That's what it means to value something. It's more important to me than other things. Sure. So like you just told me car dealership, I was hired and paid a fuck ton of money to come up with values, mission, vision. Like what are we about? Who are we? You told me that honesty is one of your top things. So I just want to be really, really clear. If you have a decision to make between honesty and selling a car, which way are we going? And they're like, <laughs> so don't say it. So how about the perception of honesty? That's a little bit different. You know what nobody ever puts on that list of your values? Profit. Making money. Nobody ever puts that on the list. I'm like, listen, I have a, I have yeah. a, I have a new rule for values. If it's not more important to you than profit, then don't bother fucking writing it down. So... I would love to talk with you more about this at some point. And we're going to, we're going to run out of time if we do it though. But my perception of profit has always been that is the food of the food of the, the company. It's, it's actually weirdly part of the DNA of the company by virtue of the uh, operating agreements and whatever. So we can get into that some other time, but, but people never say what's your biggest value food. You know, they don't say air, which they should. I mean, if you don't have it, you're going to die. Right. So I think those are sort of implied right. in, a, in a lot of conversations. I would say. I agree with you. They're implied but never stated, and I think they need to be stated. Like, when you tell me that you value something, what I mean is do you value it more than these basics? Hmm. Right? Otherwise, don't bother because it doesn't. It's not, it's not meaningful. It's not useful. We're not going to apply it, so let's not bother... Writing down. So when it comes to values, the only the ones you keep, that's it. There's no specific values. It's the ones you keep. That's what matters. If it's real to you, then and it's real to your staff, then it means something. The one that's the most problematic, there's only one poison pill, and it's integrity. Why? If you say you have integrity and you don't, then everybody in your company knows that you're full of shit. Nothing you ever say will matter again. Writing integrity down on your list of values is one of the most dangerous things you can do as a company. Hmm. Because it's, it's if you say it, you better fucking have it. I actually feel very similar about something called uh, a warrant canary. Have you ever heard of this term? No. <clears throat> so basically, you'll have a sign in your house or in your business or whatever that'll say, um, the FBI has never asked me to... 
uh, divulge information about my uh, employees or customers or whatever, right? It's, and you'll have this as a sign somewhere. Some people put it on their website, whatever. And you're not allowed to remove it because that's illegal. But you are allowed to continue to put up the current version, right? So this one's this one's good for a quarter. And then you're allowed to not put one up the next time. That's I'm allowed to not take actions, but I'm not allowed to take actions. So I can say, well, there's no updated warrant canary. Like normally there'd be a new one. Wow. And so by virtue of it not being updated, you're like, they, they have, something's happened, which sounds like a great idea. I've actually been in someone's bathroom where they had a warrant canary up in the bathroom. So you can actually tell that th- this is a thing in the security industry. So it's, you kind of have to pay attention to it. And, um, and so I was talking to a couple of business owners about it and just kind of brainstorming whether it was even a good idea or not. And I think what we landed on was it's absolutely a terrible idea because first of all, you might get it wrong and you just forget and everyone freaks out. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, let's say it happens. Are you just going to shut your doors the second the FBI shows up and asks for something? Because that's that's really what you're saying is is your privacy of your your customers is worth more than the entirety of all of your business and all of your employees and all of their livelihoods. And so even well-intentioned CEOs who really want to do the right thing and do not want to give up the information on uh, you know their, their customers or whatever, they can't justify something like that. And I think that's to the heart of what you're saying about integrity. It's You might have all the best intentions, but the second you actually document it, you're you're actually putting the entire company in jeopardy. You got to be careful it's, about it's the Google's flags. Don't be evil. That you plant, yeah. yeah. Bingo. So, um, let's talk about getting hacked um, because I think this is interesting from a marketing perspective, and I'd love to get your take on it. So, public relations, every single company who goes through getting hacked does this wrong. Every one of them, and it just shocks me that this isn't common parlance. And just here's here's how you do with it. So there's five steps. First, you have to say what happened. Just just say, like, this is what happened. So many companies get this wrong. They just, they start wrong. And you have to do it in the right order, by the way. Number two, you have to explain how you found out about it. Number three, you have to say um, what you have done to make sure that it'll never happen again. Like, we made some controls. Number three, you have to make the customer whole in some way. And number four, you have to make sure that they understand that they are a valued customer and you take this seriously and how bad this looks upon you, et cetera. Apologize, right? right? That's the end. Most companies get one, maybe up to three of those things correct. And then the rest, it's all just a cluster. So if you ever get compromised, just be aware of it. But the marketing part of this is very interesting. So first of all, companies can actually make a profit coming out of these things. So when TJ Maxx got compromised very badly, by the way, they were one of the worst that's ever happened. Um, they made more money because what people, people didn't stop shopping at TJ Maxx. They just stopped using their credit card. And so all of a sudden the transaction fees went away. Um, another example would be a lot of companies will offer, um, you know, a year of identity protection or whatever, but then you're going to want to renew. And when you want want to renew, it's actually a referral program and the company makes more money or companies will say, oops, like, Oh, we're so sorry about what happened. Um, here's discounts to our product. You're more likely to convert because you know, Oh, we got hacked. Oh, and here's, you know, 50% off on this premium offering or whatever. And suddenly you're making more money, not less money. Like have, 
have you seen any of this stuff? Or are you are you privy to this? Is this something you're communicating to your customers? Like getting hacked. One other one other quick point. I have seen no more than a ten percent deviation in stock price, but for no more than ten days, and then it returns to the mean. Um, so it's not even like they take a hit by talking about it. It's like a ten day blip, and then they're back to where they were at max. So it goes back to one of the first questions you asked me was, you know, how do you get how do you get a lot of attention without spending a lot of money, right? And it's doing something other people won't do. And as it turns out, being honest is something most companies won't do. Like it's it's right there for the taking. It's and I know paradoxically, it's one of the best things that can happen to you is having the opportunity to prove that you're not a shitty company. <laughs> it's right there in front of you. It's right there. Why not right? do it? Just take it. And so I think it's I think Gladwell wrote I think it was Blink. And he talked about hospitals that make a mistake and operate on the wrong knee. Mm-hmm. If they come to you and go, oops, we screwed up big time and we're really sorry and this is what we're doing to make it right, they don't get sued. Companies that are like, you brought the wrong leg. You rode on the wrong leg. It's your fault. You should have told us the other leg was broken. You were in a coma at the time? Not a problem. You should have brought like Like companies that make excuses. And by the way, who does that? PR people and lawyers. PR people and lawyers, the worst. Right? <laughs> You get them together and it becomes an absolute shit show because they are so hell bent on never admitting that they've done anything wrong. I literally get, I would get called into like my boss's boss's office. Um, why did you tell so and so that we uh, that we made a mistake and that, that was um, they were supposed to be able to get in at, at five and we were not here till six? Because uh, that's what happened. Yeah, but why'd you tell them that? Because that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, but then they expect things from us. I'm like, yeah, we should do those things. What? Like, every year, we made more money. Every year, we blew our numbers out of the water, grew the department from one person to seven people, right? And they're still asking me, why are you doing these things? <laughs> trust. Like, trust is the is the, by far, by far, the most significant currency in business, mm-hmm. right? I testified as an expert witness in a branding case. Actually, it speaks to something that you asked me earlier today. And it was about a salon that had an identical name to a well-established salon here in Austin, one in the domain that had the same name as a salon downtown. And when people would call and say, oh, hey, I called your South store, mm-hmm. and they were booked up, can I book with you guys? Yeah, sure, no problem. They knew what they were doing. They knew absolutely what they were doing. And I went in and I and I testified. I'm like, I've been an expert. Turns out expert witnesses... There are no rules. Hearsay, everything's allowed. I got to interview customers. I can say whatever I want. And so they come to, the, and so I said, there's no question in my mind, you know, Judge, that this company is letting people believe that they are calling the same company and they're playing on this well established brand's brand for a very long time in Austin, even though this company's two years old. And they were deliberately ignoring anybody who brought it up. And then the lawyer says, well, what do you think about the logo? Like, these guys have a capital B. They have a small case B, a very similar font. And I went, I don't have any idea. I'm not a designer. I don't know anything about design. I can give you my opinion. I told her to the judge. I said, do you want my opinion? And she goes, no, you're good. <laughs> I guarantee you, I knew in that moment, that's, that case was, it was, she said, I think I've heard enough. And she absolutely threw the book 
the company that I was testifying against. Sure, of course. Because as soon as I said, I don't know anything about that. Like, if I had been like, well, let me tell you about logos. Like, I don't fucking know. I'm not a designer. <laughs> right? What the judge wants to know is, am I just some asshole who got paid to come here and say what they're supposed to say? And the, the lawyer clearly expected me to say, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I'm like, I don't know. And the judge went, okay, this person's telling the truth. It's something that happens when you admit to things that you're not supposed to admit to. Yeah. Is it's that people I go, know. Yeah. people are like, oh, I can trust you. Mm-hmm. It's actually remarkably simple, right? We want to do business with companies that we trust. Nobody wants to be a patsy. One, one more quick sucker. One more quick thing about that uh, getting hacked thing that I thought was interesting. Um, so many companies are very resident to uh, hesitant, resident, whatever. Reticent. Resident. There you go. That's the word I was after. Um, to put up a uh, explanation on their website. They don't want to put it on the website. They're okay-ish with emails, especially because emails get dropped and you can actually make them get dropped, which is kind of uh, kind of a fun little clever trick if you ever get hacked and you really don't want anyone to know about it. Get yourself on all the spam lists. But anyway, uh, so you put this uh, thing on your website and everyone's like, oh no, then it's going to be there forever. No, what's going to happen is you're going to get this massive outrage campaign. Everyone's going to link to it as much as possible. And then after a year or so, Flip the links, make it something interesting, and you now have a bunch of backlinks to your website. Google upranks it for whatever, and you're off to the races. You actually made a whole bunch of backlinks for for free, effectively. So companies are kind of a little insane about this whole thing, a little bit scared of it, but they probably shouldn't be. So you have thought about, and I think you're actually serious about, creating a new uh, sort of matchmaking brand and... um, Mm -hmm and advertiser company. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So sponsor fits. I've put on so many events over the years and we're always trying to go and find sponsors. And then as I talk to CMOs and I had this conversation with people who do sponsorships at the absolute highest level in this town, the people who've been the most successful at it. And what you find is people, companies who want to sponsor things. Again, remember I told you how low the bar is. Quite often, they don't know what they're doing. They just want eyeballs. They just want that thing, that reach thing that we talked about earlier. Like, are you offering me? Where can I get more of that? I spoke to a company this past year at South by Southwest who was willing to pay $100,000 to have their logo wrapped on the side of a building. It was a metaverse company. (laughs) I said, oh, so we're going to, it'll be like, you'll scan it. It'll be interactive. They're like, oh, why would we do that? How much do they spend? It was $100,000 roughly, but wow. we, did, we didn't do it. <laughs> uh, I'm like, wait a minute. You, not not the metaverse, not uh, Mark Zuckerberg. No, I wouldn't, just, wouldn't have said it. Yeah. So <laughs> Different I company. said, you just, you just, and I'm going to try to say this without sounding, you know, um, contemptuous. Mm-hmm. Um, you just want me to put your logo on this building around the corner, no less. Right. So you can't even see the whole logo unless you stand across the street, a caddy corner. And they're like, yeah, that'd be cool. Right. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be super cool. (laughs) That'd be so cool. Um, do you have any specific KPIs? Whoa, 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 whoa. Literally. Whoa, we didn't think that we were going to get into all that. We just we just thought this was a logistics call. Yeah, no. 
No reason to talk about KPI. Sorry, KPI KPIs, for those key performance indicators. Yes. No need to talk about key performance indicators. Let's just spend that hundred thousand dollars, put your logo on a wall, telling people that oh, we're not going to mention that it's a metaverse. We're just going to we're just going to put the, the name of the company on the wall and then just wow. We're gonna okay. No, that, so, that's a good idea. So many companies do not keep any sort of KPIs at all on anything they do, and it's it's amazing to me that they stay in business. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> yes. That's so just, that's just despite themselves, or they haven't run out of money yet. So yeah, exactly. So if we're being honest, I mean, my goal in is 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 I want to maximize opportunity for both sponsors and sponsorees, right? So you've got shows. You've got venues, you've got events, and they all are looking, you know, I mean, I think that if the right sponsor came along for Arsenic, I imagine you would be interested in having that conversation, right? Like, who's a good fit, right? That's what we call it, sponsor fits, um, is we really want to find the right fit specifically for whomever it is so that the sponsor gets the maximum output and the show or whomever gets the maximum output. So at one point you uh, lamented to me that you found it, almost sad how easy it was to do this task to to do that matchmaking making uh between two disparate organizations why why is it so easy and why do so many people get it wrong like what what is it about this process that to you is so trivial and other people get so wrong i mean i i don't i I really i don't understand you know, talked about you know, one with an MBA in marketing and a, 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 a lecture at colleges, and I talked to professors, and I'm well, I've literally turned to the professors and be like, "What are you teaching them?" And they're like, "Ah, we don't know." <laughs> <laughs> Just on tenure track here, right? Like, what's going on? This education, these are six-figure educations. What are you teaching people? I. You get into the business world and like you sit in a meeting. Like I remember thinking like one day, like I'm going to get to do business with like, like a fortune five, like, oh my God. And then you sit in that meeting and you're like, well, everybody here's an idiot. Wow. Wild, Every, wildly overpaid as well. What is going on? And, and I, and this one might kill me, right? Like, <laughs> but like I'm just telling you, like I'm astounded at the things people say to me. So uh, you've started this thing called Future Maker Studios, a co-founder of it. Mm-hmm. And um, largely, it seems like this is about trying to find a path forward in the world, um, all kinds of, through technology primarily. But um, I kind of get this sense that there's more to it for you. There's, uh, it's, uh, it's not just a matter of making sure that this cool tech sees the light of day. There's something else, a bigger, a bigger thing you're trying to accomplish. So... What a what what is that thing? That's a great question. Okay, so you're absolutely right. Uh, Future Maker Studios um, checks a lot of boxes for me. So I went to college originally thinking I was going to become a mechanical engineer. Encountered some people who are a lot smarter than me, and I thought, you know, maybe that's not what I'm meant to do. Uh, but specifically, I was interested in robotics. My interest in robotics when I entered college was. Not exactly. Like they, they basically said, well, you know, you don't have any relevant experience. It's true. I've been living in the woods. But I didn't know a damn thing about robots because I thought they were cool. And they said, well, we have a robotics program, but it's going to be years before you even get to touch any of that stuff. Don't even worry about it. Now, when I was, you know, 18, like 
four years away, I might as well have been yeah. a, a lifetime. like a long time, yeah. Like, I'm not sure I'll live that long, right? Like, <laughs> what are we talking about right now? <laughs> the way um, I drink? No way. <laughs> yeah. I didn't drink until I was oh, out of college. That's, that was your first um, problem. Ironically. So I've been making up for lost time. I really wanted to go into the field of robotics, specifically into prosthetics. Um, I bounced around and changed my major a few different times. And ultimately, I landed in psychology, and then I got hired by the PR department, yada, yada, right? When somebody came along and said, you know, I got into the world of entrepreneurship after moving to Austin. I didn't really know the word entrepreneurship when I came here to Austin, but I fell into it. I got heavily involved in it. Um, I became, you know, arguably one of the leaders of the entrepreneur scene here in Austin. Mm -hmm. And when this opportunity came up, when when I got approached about creating a space where that fosters innovation, right? Where inventors and change makers and entrepreneurs can come and have access to the tools, to the, the people, to the resources that they need to go and create new things. I mean, that to me, that kind of checked all the boxes, right? So I had already agreed to try to build a recreational robotics space here in Austin, uh, but but like the size of a stadium, like something that would be a, a jewel in the crown of, of Texas. And I got a lot of support, including from Gensler, the largest architecture firm in the U.S. And they agreed to design uh, version one of that robotics arena. And so this was an idea, an opportunity to take that idea and marry it to an entrepreneur innovation center. And so when we brainstormed the brand, what we came up with was Future Maker Studios. So it's all of the things for me, right? Robotics, entrepreneurship, and production. I always wanted to get back into production. I just didn't know I was going to do it. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to go back to LA. And I knew that, you know, Texas, in all the time that I've been here, we've never had what we expected in terms of film production. We had projects come and go. You got, you know, link later, you got Rodriguez, but we've never, we don't have a, like a studio like they build outside of Atlanta that draws production from elsewhere. That is, that is definitely changing right that now. That is definitely changing. Yeah, that is, that is all there. I think there's three very large studios right. coming online right now. So that, that it's biggest not- one in Texas in San Marcos. Of all places, um, obviously John's got one. Um, <clears throat> you got quite a few things going on over in Bastrop. Um, you've got another one out in Dripping Springs. You've got studios. It's only a matter of time before I think Texas becomes a production epicenter, mm-hmm. right? And as we know, there are people really working on getting the state behind that in a more meaningful way. And that's been happening since the day I moved here in 2006. Uh, I think that some of the people who are newer to the conversation are going to be able to hopefully get more done. But for me, Future Maker Studios is, I, I think that we all, we all start looking for a swan song at a certain part, place in our career, mm-hmm. where you feel like you've accomplished some things. You're like, okay, I know how to do this and I know how to do that. But what do I really want to do? What like, do really what do I do? really want to accomplish? Yeah, what do you really want? I want to go build Future Maker Studios. I want to facilitate um, entrepreneurs on a level that is not currently being done. I want to facilitate creative media production in a way that is not currently being done. I want to facilitate robotics in a way that is not currently being done. And all those, although those three things don't seem immediately or obviously connected, I think that Future Maker Studios will be the connective tissue for those things. And so if you look at Sisu Cinema, they're taking big KUKA robotic arms, the same type of arms that they're using to build, you know, Toyota Tundra trucks in San Antonio. 
they put a cinema camera. I think they put a red camera and a couple others on the arm just as a demo. And all of a sudden people went, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Like you can do stuff with the camera on one of these robotic arms that you can't do in any other way. Mm -hmm. Stuff that saves production companies weeks in some cases, tremendous amounts of money and allows them to do things. I mean, drones were a game changer, right? Yeah. But robotic cameras on robotic arms is also a game changer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, and so we've talked to CSU cinema about co-locating with us. I hope I can say that. I already did. Too late. Um, (laughs) The timing is right. Robotics is, I mean, we're seeing an explosion of robotics companies. So is this going to be a, um, an incubator? Are you taking a percentage of the companies that go through? Is that how you're going to fund it? I mean, how are you going to get funders to back you? Like, how's that all going to work? Got a plan for that? The incubator piece is the piece that I'm the least involved in, right? So I'm partnered with MediaTek Ventures. They've been running a, an incubator called the MediaTek Collective. They've had, um, incubator cohorts and I think four countries outside the U S and I I'm a mentor. So I, you know, I'll jump on and I'm talking to people in Korea, talking to people in Italy, uh, talking to people in, I think in Brazil, like I'm talking to people all over the world. Um, I never know what language or time zone uh, I'm going to be encountering, but you know, I'm saying the same stuff we're saying here. Um, but having a place, an epicenter where those people can come and, and, and visit, um, you know, so it's both for local entrepreneurs and for people who want to travel here from elsewhere in the world, because Austin, as we all know, is becoming um, internationally known as an innovation hub. It sure is. So did you want to talk about, you said you were interested in talking about capitalism That's sort of yeah. a, as a dot, dot, dot. I don't know what you actually wanted to talk about. So. So here's what I wanted to talk about in the context of culture. I had a conversation with a hedge fund manager who was furious because he had read something about the percentage of people who said, if I have to go back to work post pandemic, I'll quit. And he's like, this is absolute horseshit. And I went, this is absolute capitalism. This is a value proposition. They don't like the one you have. They're getting another one. Mm-hmm. Ta-da. Yep. You don't get to bitch about that. That's how you made your fortune. Well, you, well, you do get to bitch about it. You get but. to bitch about it. <laughs> But That's like your right to bitch. <laughs> so this is something I don't understand. I've never ever understood. And like, and this is a hot topic right now. What's going on with the railroads? Sure. Like, I've never understood the fight against unions. Caveat, right? So my wife was a teacher in LA. Sure. You're you have no choice. You're forced to join the union. Sure. That's horseshit, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea that like people can't get together and go, hey, you know what? They're fucking me and they're fucking you. But if we got together, it'd be a whole lot harder for them to do it. How is that not capitalism 101, right? Like this is collective bargaining is just another form of us being like, how about we work together? I just, I fundamentally, here's what I feel like. I feel like people are so full of shit. People don't, we talked about what you stand for. I get so aggravated hearing people talk about like, oh, free market, free market. Well, then then stop asking the government to force employees to do this or that on your behalf, right? If you're actually a free market capitalist, if you actually believe in the shit that you're saying, then suck it up buttercup and let's see what you got. Right. And that's, yeah. and the best ideas will always win. I mean, that's how it all works in theory. Well, the, the worst idea is the one that you have to come down by fiat and use the government. I mean, if that's really such a great idea, why is the government jackbooted coming to your house 
like pulling something from you or pushing something into your hand like that. That's probably not a great idea. (laughs) Which brings us to the whole, like the pandemic, right? The pandemic response. Okay. We're we're really changing Uh, topics now. We're not though. (laughs) Okay. All right. Are we though? Like, I think that fundamentally, I mean, I mean, right. So most more often than not, the context of, Capitalisms are talking. I'm not a about, virologist, just for the record. So, nor am I. <laughs> Oddly enough, and I'm not talking about what we should or shouldn't have done because I don't know what the truth is, right? And and, it, and that's why I brought up the point I brought up earlier is because I'm like, what? How do how do people who I just want to know what the truth is, whether I'm right or wrong or I agree, I just want to know, and I, I have no idea in this day and age with the preponderance of information out there, to where, who do you? Where, who do you trust? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and you, and it's, it's obvious where some people get their news from because some people are a hundred percent sure of this. Some people are a hundred percent sure of that. So we know where you're getting your news and where you're getting your news. Nobody knows what the truth is. And like, if they, if there is somebody out there, I would really like to know, is there some, like some source of actual verifiable information? I think that like, eh. at some point I'm going to have uh, <clears throat> a I can't call him a historian because he doesn't want to be called a historian, but a, f- a friend who's uh, very into history. And this is a similar problem I have with history. It's like, well, I could read this lineage of books or whatever, but they're all based on some premise. That premise is written by the victor. The victor is going to want to make themselves look a certain way, and they're going to inflate the numbers in many different ways, make their battles look more victorious or make them look more brutish or whatever. And... Um, then later on we find out that's all wrong and that's not at all how it happened through some parallel, you know, technology or, you know, some other historian who figures out some other fact some way. And I'm, I'm always a little wary of going back in time. And to your point, even today, because you could have all the best intentions of trying to find out the truth and be following exactly the wrong person who has exactly the wrong ideas. I am extraordinarily curious how we sort through that. Like in, in, you know, how does a well-meaning person, someone acting in good faith, find the right information? I don't know the answer to the question. I'm not sure that we'll solve it. I'm not, I'm sure I'm not, I'm definitely positive. We I'm won't, sure we solve, won't it. solve it. <laughs> yeah. But are you uh, sure? I mean, we've got like five minutes. If you could, well, I, I do think it starts with attribution. You have to know who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times you're talking to somebody online and you're really not talking to somebody. You're talking right. to a picture that was pulled to make you feel something about somebody. And these robots are all over the place. Um, you don't know if you're talking to a person or many people or you know a fraction of a person and 20 other bots are going to agree and you're like, oh, wow, I'm like, I'm, all these people are really agreeing with this person. No, it's the same person over and over again. And sometimes you can actually detect it for reals. Like I had a one on a website once came after me and really was really wanted to say something bad about me. And, and all these bots start appearing and it's going like crazy. And it took a little work on, on the back end, but I'm like, Oh, these are all actually the same person over and over and over again. There's really only one person who's upset. And I figured out who they were and I contacted them. I'm like, why are you so upset? And then he told me, and then we got to be friends and now I know all kinds oh, of things. Wow. And, um, and so once you, once you decloak people and you really figure out what they're really about, 
you learn a lot more about what's really going on, the real motives. Yeah. And, and they could still be acting in bad faith, but at least you'll know. It's like, what do you do for a living? Just like that guy at the back of the room about PPC. Like, what do you do? Well, I actually do media buys. Okay. Trying so, to defend their livelihood, which is understandable. Totally understandable. Okay. So here was, which brings me back to my point about capitalism, believe it or not. Sure. You know what a mentalist is? Yes. All right. The illusion of choice. They've made a choice for you, but you believe you're making a choice. Mm -hmm. Now, there are entire organizations that are experts in manipulating human behavior. Mm -hmm. Absolute experts. I've worked on reality shows, the same reality shows that produced The Apprentice, Road Rules, right? Um, what was the real world? Like all that stuff, right? There's, there, and I'm not even, but in the world of advertising, there are experts in manipulating human behavior. So you take those people and you take all of their money and all in this capitalism, right? Capitalism, how do we maximize our profits? We maximize our profits by controlling what people do, right? And there are people who are experts at doing it and people have no idea. So it's easy. I was, Bill Burr, I was watching earlier, he was talking about like, you know, like, look, fatty, you all knew that McDonald's was going to make you fat, right? <laughs> like you don't get to cry about McDonald's made you fat, Right. It's a funny joke, and it's a good point, but it doesn't change the fact there are a great number of things that we think we have a choice in doing, right? And this is my question: is like, is unfettered capitalism our best option? As a I believe in freedom, but I'm, but I also think unfettered in what sense? You mean zero rules at all? Government has no say whatsoever. Right. I believe, I, I like I said earlier, I believe in freedoms. Like I'm not. I mean, I understand there are limits, but I believe in like. Companies should be able to do what's in their best I think, interest. But like, I think, unfortunately, it sounds great, but it's a utopia just like any other utopia. Yeah. I think in practice, there's a bunch of stats on this, but um, but effectively, there's a huge chunk of the population that is completely unemployable for, for health reasons or just mental in, uh, incapability. I, I just saw this video the other day, which is apparently quite old, but of a very inbred family and one of the guys is just barking like a dog and that's how he talks. And he's just, I mean, I would not trust him to do literally anything. Um, let alone like interface with people and like try to negotiate deals or sell something or like, no, this guy's like completely not functional. Um, he can eat. That's what he can do. Um, I don't think the government provides zero value in that context. They have to provide some sort of safety net because those people are literally incapable uh, of doing anything other than self-sustaining when they're given food. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that truly unfettered capitalism means that the government provides zero role at all in anything. And I think, unfortunately, the way s the world works, we just have this whole bottom tier of society that for whatever... And some people just opt out. You know, they just just like, see, I'm out. I don't want... I, it's... It's too um, mentally stimulating. I, I just don't want to be part of this. Uh, you know, very creative people sometimes will just like peace out. I just can't. Sure. Um, they've opted out of it. But that implies that even the middle class is fundamentally capable of just making, right? It's just a free market decision. Like I buy this, I don't buy that. Like I think that all of this ignores we know about psychology, right? Like, this is what gets me. Every time I watch every talent show with any mentalist ever, mm -hmm. right? I'm like, how many of those people work at the FBI? How many of those people work at the 
work in advertising agencies, right? We know we can, we can all see what they're capable of. And we all assume that everybody who has those skills is out there doing magic tricks. Bullshit. There are lots of people who have those skills who are using them to control what we do. We we know that's true uh, in the online world because you can measure it with things like dark patterns, for instance. Uh, So there's like, I forget, like I'm going to space on the name, but it was like a free credit report or something like that where they had this gray banner at the top and it said basically like, you don't need to come to this website. You can get your free credit report directly from the government or whatever. It's, it's, it's like, it's their disclaimer, but it was, it was grayed out in such a way that the human eye literally can't see it. Like your eye just, just skips over Filter. it because that's yeah. not the content. It's not what you're after. It's more like it's a, those headers at the top are designed to not be looked at initially that you scroll down first, look at the content and then you may go back to the top to, you know, do drop downs or whatever, but then there's a drop down. So you, your eye just can't, just literally can't see the thing. You have to really focus on it. I think it's been taken down now, but there's, uh, I'm sure you can find photos of it online. That was put there exactly in that way for a purpose. There's a lot of banner ad or pop-ups that'll say, do you want to support us by doing blah, blah, blah? And then they'll have a, I do not want to support you, but it's in a black font with no link, with no underline underneath like it. Unsubscribes and emails, like they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's designed to make it look like this thing isn't clickable, it's not interactable, you shouldn't ignore this text. Your eye has a very hard time seeing it. I know it's there. I see this thing all the time pop up trying to ask me where I like, turn off my ad blocker or whatever. I'm like, wait, where's the button again? Oh, it's not a button. It's a link. I have to kind of think through it. So you're absolutely right. This is definitely happening. Um, I just don't know what the government would do about that. Like, what are they going to say? You can't use patterns that people can't see very easily. Like, what is that? Are they going to get in the CSS business? Like, I just don't know how they could do a better job. I'm not saying that it's a good thing. I'm not. I just don't know what I would, what law would I write to to protect people from links that they can't tell are links. To me, it's, it's, I mean, it's a fascinating question. Like you said, maybe when we have more time or we're a drink. We're we're getting pretty close to time here. Just the, the, and the same way that I, I learned, I, I was super proud of my ability to manipulate. I was really proud of my ability to manipulate people in Hollywood. And it did, it did well for me and it did well for the organization that I was working for. Of course. And I know that there are people out there who've, who haven't ever pumped the brakes on that. They're proud of the fact that they designed those things that we're talking about. They're so proud of it. They're like, this thing performs brilliantly. No one has ever clicked on the link saying you don't need to be here. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just, I wonder, you know, and I, I told you, I watched your, your, your episode with John. I'm going to watch others too, but and I was like, oh my God, like you get into like talking about like things like government regulations and like free market capitalism. I just, you know, because I know the thesis of the show is like, what's real. Right. And it really made me want to dig into some of these questions of like, okay, great. So if you're just somebody who wants to know, are you're two insanely intelligent people. And people who watch this show are watching it because they know that you're going to bring smart people, person, myself excluded from that, no, right? Not at all. Into this conversation, and they want to learn from these people. And and it frustrates me, not just your show, but in general, like this question of, like, who the fuck do we listen to and not listen to? Like, where does, does truth live anywhere? Or do I just have to spend all my time on the internet digging and hoping that I find it somewhere? we can't do that right our brains are filters we cannot do that we have 
to choose our channels. And we choose our channels and then we fight with each other. And that is probably the single most frustrating to, thing to me about our culture and our society today. Well, my goal in this show is to get how the world works in people's ear holes, if I can. That does not mean they're going to like the answer. Uh, it does not mean that it's going to come from one person or one source. Um, Hopefully not. Uh, it, it won't, unfortunately. If it was that easy, I would be over, right? I, I would have given the one guest and there's the five things you need to know and you're off to the races. Unfortunately, the real underbelly of how everything works is so much more complicated than any one person has a grasp on that. That's, that's why I'm talking with you, for instance. People think they understand marketing. They don't understand marketing. They don't understand the nuance of it. They don't understand how they're being treated or, or viewed by marketers. Um, I think your sort of brutalist approach to thinking about people is actually important for people to hear. It's like, oh, this is this is what the marketing community thinks about me. Uh, I am I am a I am part of a funnel. I'm just falling into this funnel. I'm getting further and further to bo bottom. And the more I behave the way I'm supposed to, the more likely I'm going to be spending money on something I don't necessarily want at all. But I thought I wanted at the time. So, so you want all of marketing in two steps? Sure. Who's your market? Target market. Incredibly hard for people to make a decision. Who's your market? What are you going to do for them that's unique or better? That's it. All of marketing. Who is it? What are you going to do for them? Getting people to answer those questions. Hardest thing I've ever tried to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we're out of time, but I would like to know how do people get in touch with you? Um, so you've you've given a lot of information like... Uh, how do, how do they reach out and find out more about you, follow you? I'm super Googleable. Yeah. Um, if you can spell my name, Elijah May. Mm -hmm. um, I do. I, I have, I, at some point, I realize there are other Elijah Mays in the world, and I get really mad about it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm going to wipe them all off of the front page of Google, and I've just, I think I've just about done it. There's another one here in Austin, and I know he hates my guts. Um, yeah, I mean, so if you Google Elijah May, you're going to find me. Um, and then, but you, know, you can always email me at Elijah at experiencefirm.com. Um, I'm Elijah May on most social channels. Great. Elijah, thank you so much for doing this, especially on such short notice. Thanks that for having really, me. really good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.